But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Welcome to Made for Another World podcast, where we hope to keep each other and hopefully you too on the path to another world, one we were made for. With Aaron Alvarado and me, Jacob Simmons, this is episode 11. And tonight we have with us a man by the name of Nicholas Esch. Nick serves as the senior pastor of Cornerstone Reformed Baptist Church in Terrell, Texas. And Nick is married to Rachel, and together they have three kids, Jonah, Allie, and Isaiah. Nick, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Oh. Well, since we are made for another world, mm-hmm. the idea behind uh, why you're here tonight is for, uh, for all of us who listen to, to see small glimpses, to, to let all of us see perhaps our own journey to this world that we are made for a little bit better by you explaining just God's faithfulness to you, uh, explaining how God has saved you, uh, and then really how he's sustained you on this journey so far. So with that... Just take us to the beginning. Take us back to uh, where it all started. Where you, where are you from? So like, where was I born? Yeah, where are you from? <laughs> uh, College Park, East Point area in Atlanta. Uh, same area as Outcast. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both of them? Uh, I think so. Okay. <laughs> Just given the the hood area that they sing about. But yeah, <laughs> so that that's me in a nutshell from the hood in Atlanta. But the uh, grew up in Morrow. For the most part, which is about about as far from Atlanta as we are from Dallas. Okay. So half hour to forty minutes south of yeah. Atlanta. Uh, grew up in that area and grew up a heathen, and you know, like just that was normal, I guess. Mm-hmm. My family's kind of a weird hybrid uh, redneck hippie kind of thing going on. Um, if that doesn't make sense, that's redneck okay. It's not important. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, <clears throat> the. Uh, not a lot of God at whatsoever. However, because I grew up in the Bible Belt, uh, a lot of my friends went to church, things like that. So I wasn't totally unaware of Christianity, uh, but it didn't really matter, and it was never really brought up in my home at all. But yeah, so that was that was the very beginning as far as being raised in Atlanta. So for me, I mean, I lived to play drums. I lived to skateboard. So it was just punk rock, skateboard lifestyle. That's what I did 24-7. Um, and partied a lot through all of that, uh, starting at a very early age. So drugs and alcohol just were very normal in my home. At what age? Uh, so I started smoking marijuana in fourth grade. So what are you, like 10, mm-hmm. 9 or 10 there? And started drinking in sixth grade, or the summer between fifth grade and sixth grade was the first time I remember encountering alcohol and then that becoming a regular thing. Um, and then that spiraled down into much worse things as time went on, um, especially going into high school. I don't know if you want me to go down this route. Yeah, so it's, it's just, uh, just stop me if I'm getting inappropriate at any point. <laughs> so uh, the yeah, so I mean, I because of the skateboarding and things like that, I would often go to church with friends of mine because in the Bible Belt, a lot of these churches, these big mega churches, where they have skate parks and things like that. But in order to skate the skate park, you had to sit through the youth message to go to that. Um, so I would go and hear things, but didn't really have ears to hear. Uh, I just wanted to skateboard. But uh, but none of that really took hold in my life in any way. 
so for me, my life was revolving around skateboarding and drumming and partying, which revolved, which was connected to all of that, I suppose. So I uh, did that and that was just kind of normal in until it's about 16. Um, I dropped out of high school so that I could skateboard and play drums and party more. <laughs> so I started doing that all the time. Uh, and during that time, a few things happened with my father. He had, uh, he had went on a drug binge at one point, disappeared with my pickup truck, showed up two weeks later without the truck. Come to find out he had uh, sold it for crack and uh, just been on a crack cocaine binge. I knew that he was a pothead. I had no idea that he had done crack. Mm. Um, and it just took over his life. And I mean, apparently it really was a gateway drug that mm. led to some much darker, deeper things. And so <clears throat> when he came back, my, uh, my mom kicked him out. And my brother's eight years older than me, so he had moved out when I was eight. So it was kind of like I was the only child at this point anyway. Mm. Um, so my dad moved out and then this was early 2001 ish. Um, no, it was before nine 11. And so he moved out for a while. Eventually she took him back when he kind of got straightened up, moved back in. Things started kind of getting back to normal, but he lost his job when he went on a two week binge. And, uh, and so nine 11 happens, all that craziness happens. We go into 2002, eventually he gets another job and then I'm, so I'm 17 at this point and he did the same thing after he got his first paycheck. He went and took off of my mom's car for two weeks, sold her car for crack, just made shipwreck of his life mm. and came back. My mom kicked him out again. Uh, but he said, you know, whoever has your car has all the keys to the car. Mm. So we need to change all the locks, change all the doors or doorknobs, things like that. So he said he was going to Home Depot with a friend of his to get new stuff for the house. When he was leaving, he was crossing over the highway. It's kind of an overpass thing. And he just looked at his buddy and said, tell my wife and kids I love them. Jumped out of the car, went and jumped off the bridge. Mm. And he did not die right away, but it did ultimately lead to his death. Mm. So, I was 17, and that was kind of the catalyst to spiral me down into the worst of drugs. And so I was drinking and smoking marijuana before then, and then that sent me into doing ecstasy, cocaine, crack, everything, mm. meth. I'd take meth so that I could stay awake to stay high on ecstasy for mm. days <laughs> into weeks. Mm. Um, and yeah, just utter mess. And just doing that constantly. Kind of my thought process was like, if my dad was willing to totally ruin his life for these drugs, like they must be really good. I should try them instead mm. of it sending me the other way. Right. Uh, so did mm. that. And I remember a, a buddy of mine who I thought was far worse than me on drugs. He came over to my house and I'd been kind of sitting in the same spot doing really weird druggy things for days and hadn't slept. And he came in and was like, man, you need to take a look in the mirror, man. You, you've got to do something different. You're ruining your life. And I just remember being so insulted, like, man, this guy, like, <laughs> telling me that. Mm -hmm. Look at yourself, bro. And uh, so I w went and looked at the mirror, and he was right. I was becoming my father really quick mm -hmm. um, in just a matter of months. Um, at that point, my mom had already moved out, I think, to go into a rehab, if I remember right. 
Um, and there were two heroin addicts living in my brother's old bedroom that somebody had let moved in there and then me. Hmm. And this was a house that my grandmother had owned. Uh, so the house was paid for, but it was just sitting there. And so utilities, I don't think are getting paid. There's no groceries. And I'm just kind of left there by myself at 17. Hmm. So I just said, man, I've got to get out of here. I've got to change my life. And so moved out. I uh, moved in with some buddies out of town. It was about half an hour away, further south than where I was. And, uh, yeah, that kind of, it didn't straighten me out. It got me away from some hard drugs and some bad, just bad habitual behavior mm-hmm. that I had been doing. Um, and so still partying, but now just drinking, occasionally smoking marijuana, uh, playing a lot of music, skateboarding all day, every day. How old are you now? Uh, this is so still 17. Okay. Yeah. So just not just months from gotcha. this. Yeah. Um, and did that on into 18 and then, um, all my friends started graduating. And so there was one particular girl who I had my eyes on through all of that. And, uh, she was a girlfriend of my buddy. Uh, <laughs> me and my buddy had known each other since preschool. They had been dating since they were like 14, 15. And so I met her around then, and uh, he was horrible to her, so I just knew it wasn't going to work out. (laughs) And uh, so I was just kind of patiently watching from the sidelines. (laughs) And uh, they broke up right before graduation, and uh, and so I stepped in and asked her out. And so at this point, like, you know, given everything I just told you guys, like, I'm pretty, I'm a mess, Mm -hmm. like, you know, and... She was there the night that I found out my father died, mm-hmm. and I really tried to binge drink myself to death, and she kind of nursed me back to health. Um, I mean, I had clearly had alcohol poisoning and probably should have died, but my body rejected all of that. And uh, the... So, I mean, I was living with buddies through all of this. I was never... Never really had any parental guidance or anybody watching me saying, no, don't do that. It was instead just always seemed to have access to whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. So it was just a, just a depraved, <laughs> like just living that that was how it was going all day, every day. But anyway, so I'm washed up, depressed, just a total mess. I have no job. I'm getting like $1,100, $1,200 a month off of Social Security that I got after my dad died. And uh, and I asked this girl, hey, you want to go on a date with me? And she's like, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and so I began to smooth talk her a little bit and, you know, against her better judgment, got her to go on a date with me. And uh, yeah, and then somehow that led to uh, getting her to eventually agree to marry me. <laughs> And at, the, at that point, when I did ask her to marry me, I had gotten a job finally. And so I started working at Freightliner in Atlanta. Um, the uh, So when Rachel and I started dating, she was like, all right, I'm going to fix this guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in many ways she did. She straightened me up and kind of kept me from becoming my father. And But was still drinking quite a bit. Um, stopped doing drugs, period. So no, no more smoking pot or anything like that. Um, and then we got engaged when we were 19 or when we were, yeah. So it was just, I took her out for her 19th birthday and got her to agree to marry me. And so that was in June of 2004. 
had had you asked a couple of times or was it just no like, no it just took <laughs> once <laughs> man i got her yeah you gotta you gotta know how to smooth talk yeah. <laughs> so i took her on top of a mountain stone mountain georgia nice. it's not really a mountain it's a big rock in georgia <laughs> but that's as close as we got in that area yeah. um and so took her up there took her to a real beautiful spot i mean she had, it had been really jerky of her to say no <laughs> you know <laughs> invested a lot of money uh, <laughs> and uh, you just gotta manipulate the situation. <laughs> How long have y'all been dating? Uh, not long. So we started dating uh, when, in just after graduation, so summer of two thousand three, and so then one year. So we were dating almost a year. Nice. Yeah. So uh, that dating was a mess too. Um, just there was a lot of off and on because of me being dumb. But the, um, so anyway, part of it was, I thought I was going to go be a rock star. And so I would do dumb things. Well, and, I was going to ask you about that. So yeah. you, you dropped out of high school to skateboard and play the drums. Mm-hmm. Was there any like, uh, and there, there could be some professional. No, no. School just got in the way. I just oh, okay. wanted to do it more. Okay. Yeah. There no. wasn't any like, <laughs> no. I could do this professionally. So I'm dropping out of school no, to go and no, skateboard. Yeah. Everybody on skateboarded was, was far better than me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, so, you know, we, we skated for a local shop and, you know, it was just because we were friends with them. I mean, some of, some of the guys that were with us were good enough to really be sponsored. Mm-hmm. I just happened to be friends with the guy going to the skate shop. Uh, so technically, yeah, I was on the, the South Side Skate Shop team, which just meant like I could get a discount at some skate parks or whatever, but not that I was actually on a team in any way, because I should not have been on one. <laughs> but the, um, the, I just was obsessed with skateboarding. I have a very addictive personality, which is why, uh, it, it's bad when I grab onto the wrong things. Mm. But so that's, that's ultimately where that went. It was far better drumming than I was at skateboarding, but I can never put together a great band. Like I just, uh, just didn't ever pan out. I lived with a pretty good band that, that signed and uh, went toward the country and everything. But uh, Would we know them? Probably not. No. But the, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Were you big in the emo pop punk? You were, right? Or your hair was? I was. Yeah, my hair was. <laughs> I became more into it after it was cool. Okay. Like, now that it's awkward. Late like, you're like, you like that stuff now? You're Almost 40. <laughs> <What? Gotcha>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't know that we were ever cool, but the, uh, <laughs> but we did wear skinny jeans before there were skinny jeans. So, nice. Yeah. They were girl nice. jeans. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so yeah. So, I mean, again, you see, I'm a cross-dressing punk rocker <laughs> skateboarder and I asked this girl to marry me and uh, somehow she says yes. And so, uh, I'm starting to develop a whole lot of questions for Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, yeah you know, <laughs> my hair was all kind of different colors and different lengths, often down to my shoulders. Uh, it was always at least one odd color right mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes pink, blonde, whatever, nice. different things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I just don't know what she was thinking. It was just a very, very <laughs> poor judgment. But uh, So she agreed to marry me. But the, uh, So we got engaged in June of 2004, and then in October of 2004, we got married. And three months later, we got pregnant with our first child. And that... Um, that was kind of the catalyst to really start thinking through where do we want to be? What do we want to do? Well, wait, so sorry to back you up, but um, you have like this mess of a life just mm-hmm. drinking. Like she, you had sobered up from a couple of those things, but mm-hmm. um, and, and she was on this mission to fix you. 
has that been working over the year that y'all dated and into engagement or so the dating was rough partly because i didn't want to be fixed mm -hmm, gotcha. and i wanted to uh, go tour the country and play drums um and you know seek out the the rock and roll lifestyle which i was pretty much living anyway but i guess you just do it on other people's couches when you travel <laughs> the country <laughs> but the uh yeah so we i lived in an apartment with a band at this time when we were dating uh, it was a two-bedroom apartment, and there was one, two, like six or eight, maybe. There was about eight of us, I think, that were actually like tenants. And then Jim on Brent. average, yeah. there was usually 30-plus people there a night. And, uh, <laughs> and then whatever local bands were playing at the local venues, they would usually, at least one or two of them would stay with us. And, yeah, the bathtub would be full of like Everclear and uh, Hunch or Hawaiian Punch or whatever, Hunch Punch. Like it's just, and I mean, you didn't want to take a shower in that bathtub, let alone <laughs> drink stuff out of it. But I mean, I guess it had Everclear in it, so it, it killed whatever was in there. <laughs> so, <laughs> this was just normal. Um, yeah. So she did. She she calmed me down, not by like sitting me down and telling me this is how it's going to be, but just like by being a mature person <laughs> who, you know, had goals in her life and, and by me, you know, falling in love with her and wanting to be a part of her life. And then just realizing like, oh, these, you know, two don't really go together. And so the more time I spent with, spent with her, the less time I spent with my buddies, which was a lot of drama at first. Uh, some of these guys, we were around each other 24 seven, you know, from the time we were 13, 14 until then. And, mm -hmm. Um, so I had to leave my heterosexual life mates for my actual <laughs> life mate. <laughs> and so, yeah, so it was, it was rough transition and that was why the dating was so hard because I was stupid and didn't want to grow up. But the, uh, the, by the time we get engaged, we, um, I mean, I'm pretty chill at that point. I mean, drinking every once in a while, but not binge drinking like I was and that was it. Um, the, uh, I mean, I rarely, if ever getting drunk at that point, but once three months into marriage, like we got married, I mean, we got, after we got married, we got pregnant three months later. That was like, I'm not going to be my dad. Mm. You know, it was just a awakening and I drew the line mm. in the sand. It's like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to abuse any of this stuff. And I still drank occasionally, but I mean, it was like a beer or two with a steak or whatever. It yeah. wasn't nothing like it was before. Mm -hmm. Uh, but so that was the catalyst. It was kind of the, the line in the sand to figure out what am I going to do with my life. And so at that time, just before my wife and I got together, her parents had split up and they were both from Texas. And so I think her dad was already looking to move back to Texas. And then her mom wanted to move back to Texas because her uh, Rachel's grandmother, uh, her mom's mom, lived in Scurry. And her sister, Rachel's mother's sister, so Rachel's aunt, lived in scary and was taking care of Rachel's grandmother and um, she could really use some help. So Rachel's mom wanted to move out here and yet we're pregnant with the first grandbaby. And so she doesn't want the grandbaby away from her. Mm -hmm. So they all start like, Nick, you should really think about moving mm -hmm. to Texas. Well, the high school that I went to and dropped out of had been discredited at this point because it was just so, um, it was just falling apart. I mean, it was like where the high school I went to, like, during the time I was there, you had to go through metal detectors to get into the front door. Mm -hmm. You had to have clear or mesh backpacks. There was often gang fights out in front of the school, mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of chaos. 
uh, I didn't drop out for any of those reasons. I just <laughs> didn't want to go. But the uh, <laughs> I was actually really good in school when I went. Um, I just I had other things I wanted to do. Um, so the uh, I definitely didn't want to raise a kid in the area I grew up in, and the the prospect of moving to Texas and kind of getting a clean slate sounded like a good idea. So mm-hmm. we came out here and checked it out. It's like, all right, looks good. So I was working at Atlanta Freightliner. I talked to Dallas Freightliner and it's, it's like, would you guys have an opening? Like, yeah, man, you can do the same thing you're doing and we'll give you like a $30,000 a year raise. I like, that sounds no. great. <laughs> <laughs> so cost of living was basically the same. And so uh, we moved out. I moved out here in November of 2006 and Jonah was born, um, <clears throat> in October of 2005. So he was just over a year old and we moved out here and then, uh, Rachel had to finish the semester. She was going to college. And Mm -hmm. so she moved out here with Jonah in December. So I was about a month ahead of her. Mm -hmm. So we moved to Scurry originally and I was living with her family. And then, uh, we were like, well, we want to live nearby, but we can't afford a house right now. We're young and dumb and had no credit. So I looked for apartments close by, and the closest ones I could find were in Terrell, Texas, which I had never heard of. But we moved there, and uh, so I was driving really far to work, working over by near the airport in Irving almost, mm. um, driving back and forth, and Rachel was a stay-at-home mom. And uh, during, we got pregnant again during the move. And so not long after moving out here and all that, we had our daughter in 2007. And so... We have two kids under two, and it's utter chaos, <laughs> and we just moved to a new state, so we have no friends, and we moved out here to be close to her family, but her family were busy taking care of grandma and, and all of that, and yeah. so we had no help, really. I mean, some help, but not much. Uh, we needed a lot of help, and <laughs> we were broke to the point to where it was like, do we buy milk? Do we buy diapers? What do we do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working 70, 80 hours a week, just trying to make ends meet. And yeah, we were like on the verge of divorce. It was just chaos, Mm. just kind of tolerating each other, not knowing what to do. And, uh, and Rachel probably just wanted to have an adult conversation and I just wanted to sleep (laughs) because I was working so much and the kids just wanted to like be fed and taken care of and play. And that was, they were asking way too much. Yeah. So uh, about that time, the apartments moved in this couple above us who were pregnant with their first kid. And they told us, like, we're going to move them in above you guys so that you can, you know, give them advice and tell them what to do. And we're like, that's the dumbest thing we've ever heard. Like, we have no idea what we're doing. Uh, I was like, don't do what we're doing. It ain't working. Uh, but so they moved them in. And the guy was this East Texas Marine from Nacogdoches, uh, which I hadn't heard of until that point. And the girl, uh, his wife, was a Catholic from Maine. And Rachel was raised Catholic. And so there's an interesting dynamic there. Uh, They had something to bond over, you know, the Catholic stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Me and the other guy, we both like steak and beer. So we we had a little (laughs) bit to bond over. Uh, (laughs) So we uh, we became good friends. We ate dinner almost every night together. And uh, one night we were out grilling steaks, drinking beer. And he asked me, he said, man, you ever thought about getting your family in church? I was like, no. Why would I want to do that? That sounds stupid. And, they, don't, uh, they don't have any skate parks. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, what's the point? So, um, yeah, but he, he was like, man, I don't know. He's like, that's how I was raised, and I really want to get, you know, get that habit going before his son was born. Hmm. 
And uh, so he did. He went to church, and I didn't know it. There's a church across the street from the apartments, but he went, and he loved it, came back, and he's like, man, you guys got to come. Well, at this point, they're the only friends we have in Texas. So mm-hmm. it's like, all right, well, I don't want to blow this, I guess. <laughs> so we went, and it was awful. Like, I didn't, uh, I didn't get what the guy was talking about at all. But as a musician, I just remember being so <laughs> irritated and disappointed with the music. I was like, man, they are trying so hard to be cool, and it's really bad. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, I just, everything about it, it was, it was just like well, turning me off. Was it similar to, because you went to some church events in order to skate. Was it similar to that, like what you had heard, or do you even remember? So I think those, as I remember back on that, I think they did it better. Because they were bigger churches with bigger budgets, and this was a small mm-hmm. church trying to be that bigger church. Gotcha. And it was just, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the a 50-year-old dad wearing skinny jeans. Like, he's trying <laughs> to be hip and cool, but everybody's uncomfortable. Like, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of what it felt like. Um, the it, it just was odd, and it turned me off big time. But, like, you've got to understand, like, my hair is, like, down to my shoulders, uh, my clothes are skin tight. You know, I'm wearing like a spike belt, like, and I'm the only one in the room with visible tattoos. And uh, and people are so nice to me. Like all these older people are just incredibly nice to me, and the younger people are nice to me. And I'd never experienced anything like that. And uh, they were just very loving. And so they asked me, "Are you gonna come back?" I was like, "I just." Uh, Sure. Yeah, why not? And so we went four weeks in a row. And the fourth week, the pastor asked if he could sit down and talk with us and set us down and began to share the gospel with us. And I began to argue with him and bicker with him and tell him how foolish he was for believing all this Jesus stuff. And, you know, he tried to backpedal and talk around me. And I was like, I know what you're trying to do. He's like, what? I said, man, I've been I've been to churches. I've been to youth groups. I said, you're trying to get me to say some sinner's prayer, aren't you? He's like, well, well, yeah. I want you to I want you to invite Jesus into your heart. I said, man, that stuff don't work. It's like I've, I've been to youth groups and stuff in the past. I'd go skateboard, and they'd ask you. They'd say, you know, have you ever committed this sin or that sin? If you have, raise your hand. And I was like, I did that today. You know, yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, they. I didn't realize it, but I was raising my hand so that they could come up and pray with me and lead me through some sinner's prayer, and you know, where I asked Jesus into my heart. I said, man, that didn't change anything. It's like I'd go about living my life the same way I did. I'd go from there to go do the sins that I raised my hand about. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he just said, man, well, this time could be different. And that was not convincing words. Um, <laughs> that was not good apologetics whatsoever. But in that moment, man, all I can say is God showed up because I just suddenly knew God is real. He's holy. And I'm in trouble. <laughs> but he is offering me grace and forgiveness in Christ. And I get moved to tears, broke down, and just begged God to save me right there and really cried out to Jesus. My wife went through those motions, you know, saying a prayer, all of that. She would say that it was over some months later that she really began to actually understand the gospel and came to true saving faith. But for me, it was that moment, like yeah. light switch, flipped my life upside down, went from not caring at all to being obsessed with Jesus. Uh, but there was still a lot of a lot of rough edges. But that that's essentially how I came to Christ, and so that was cornerstone. And that was uh, <laughs> here's here's some irony for you. That was four twenty. 2008, <laughs> April 20th. <laughs> so, yeah. 
That would be the date. Yes, yeah. it would. <laughs> God okay. has a sense of humor. So it, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't the first time you heard the gospel. No, and I would even say <clears throat> I probably heard better gospel presentations <clears throat> previous to that. Um, but it was the first time I had ears to hear the gospel. <clears throat> it's weird. I was very inconsistent though. Like I, I would have considered myself an atheist at that point going into that office. But I would do weird things. Like, I remember when uh, The Passion of the Christ came out. I went and saw it by myself. Like, unprovoked. Nobody told me to go. And I said, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> and I don't remember huh. being moved by it in any way other than like I would by any other good yeah. movie. But hmm. I don't know. Where did that come from? Yeah. You know, it's just God drawing me, wooing me, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, it depends on how reformed you are. That's sure. Terrible movie. You can't portray <laughs> Jesus. <No>. Uh, <laughs> so... Was Satan trying to get me for the Jesus movie? I don't know. But <laughs> Do you, going, going way back, I guess, to when you were talking about like the skate parks and how you had to be involved with the church or something like that, um, was that, do you think, because I'm always curious because you see a lot of that in the Bible Belt still, like, here's some fun stuff to do if you'll come to our church, which I'm not saying that's a bad thing in and of itself, but for you or anybody that you were around there, do you think that that actually had any like positive impact on you or were you just, I'm just, I just want to skate. I don't care about. It definitely didn't have any positive impact on me. (sighs) Maybe for some of my friends, there's one guy in particular that I grew up with who, uh, he ended up becoming a pastor and that was through, I mean, he was connected in those circles. We skateboarded together. He was a drummer too and played at drums and a punk rock man, but he came to Christ before that, but he got involved in that and then started doing those same things with the youth group, leading them with the skate park thing and all that stuff. And he would bring me into that as kind of a way of evangelism to me, Mm -hmm. I think, looking back on it. He'd ask me, hey, man, I'm taking a youth group to the skate park. You want to come? Sure. Um, (laughs) But uh, I wouldn't have known what evangelism was at the time. But uh, interestingly enough, the only friend that I can think of that I grew up with that was around during that time that I think is actually a Christian today. Uh, his church was like hardcore traditional Baptist and would have never done that. And he's the one who's like a legit loves the Lord. Mm-hmm. And all the ones who went to those churches that did the bait and switch and did whatever they could do to get people butts and seats, it seemed to have the opposite effect. Yeah. All of them have, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if any of them even ever professed to, to love the Lord, know Christ in any way, but right. they certainly don't today. And yeah. so mm-hmm. for, for whatever, whatever it's worth, the time they spent in church doesn't seem to have had any effect on where they're at now. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. So, Just curious. what I what I have seen, I would argue that it has an opposite effect yeah. when you bait and switch, mm-hmm. and it ends up burning people in the end. Yeah. Hmm. I realize God can do whatever He wants. Oh, real deep. Yeah. Whoa. Burning them in the end. Yeah. <laughs> Accidentally. Yeah, <all> right. yeah. <laughs> Maybe for real. Yeah. Uh, but the. <clears throat> I mean, I think those people are well-meaning, and again, I I wouldn't say it was necessarily sin or wrong, but I just think it's not the wisest way to go about it, and it can have poor effects. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so if anyone is listening that (laughs) is... uh... Jake's email address. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone is listening, and they're a drummer, and they skate... Just know you're about to become a pastor at some point. <laughs> that's, that's the pattern. Um, okay, so from there, you, you, you hear the gospel uh, for the first time with ears to hear it. And uh, 
God, God has saved you. Did, did you recognize it in the moment? Did you wrestle with, am I saved? Am I not saved? Or did you? Like, no, ha, ha, okay. it was, it was apparent. Like a switch had been flipped. The light had came on. Right. My whole worldview changed. I mean, it was everything that was out of character for me became normal for me. And, um, my, you know, my wife would say that I've always had a sweet demeanor about me and was kind and things like that, but she didn't hear the internal conversation going on in my mind. And like that type of thing changed. And like I said, I've always had an obsessive personality. And so that got pointed towards Jesus, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, but I didn't, I didn't immediately get into the word of God. Really. Uh, the only Bible I had was a King James prison Bible that somehow I had left from my dad's stuff. So my dad was in and out of prison. I skipped over a lot of stuff. seems like I covered a lot. I didn't. I skipped a lot. Um, My dad, my brother, others were in and out of prison a lot, and that ties to the drugs and alcohol being normal in my family. But the uh, So I had a King James Bible that said such and such prison on the front, and I remember like trying to hide that because I wanted wanted to take a Bible to church, but I was like, I don't. Uh, just put some tape over that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but then I realized quickly that I didn't understand the King James Bible either. Um, and so I had this Bible that I didn't really understand that I didn't really want anybody to know I had. Um, and I just wanted to get involved in church. And so I got obsessed with church before I was obsessed with the Word of God and just wanted to be there every time the doors were open. And so we started going Sunday school, Sunday morning, uh, Wednesday night, and just I feel like I was growing by leaps and bounds through that, through what I was hearing in the teaching, um, and just being around the people and the way they were discipling me, just through conversation and things like that. We uh, quickly just started kind of doing life with the people there. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, we had one couple really that we were friends with, and so now we had access to all these other people at the church. At that time, Cornerstone was, I mean. That, don't quote me on this. I mean, you're going to quote me because it's on video, but the. Uh, <laughs> It feels like, looking back, I just could be totally my own imagination. It feels like Cornerstone was like 300-ish members at the, or people, attendee, mm-hmm. attenders at the time. It feels like it was very big looking back um, and way more people than we could ever know, but there was plenty of people to know. And so we started getting involved in their life. They started getting involved in ours. And quickly it came out that I was a drummer. And, and so they recruited me to, to start playing drums. I was like, yeah, you guys need some help. <laughs> so, so started playing drums, which meant like two practices a week on top of playing drums on Wednesday night and playing drums on Sunday morning. Uh, Wednesday night's not like it is now. It was like kind of a mini service. worship service type thing. Um, and so, um, so just involved all over the place. And then the youth pastor, uh, he was, you know, he led youth on Wednesday night and then Sunday morning during Sunday school, and he was like, hey, I do worship during Sunday school with the youth. Would you be willing to, to come in and help me and play some drums? Sure, why not? So I was 23, you know, when I first came to know the Lord. And so I looked like I was 14 when I was 23. So he was like, come up, start playing drums, just get to know the teenagers. Well, that was really easy because they all thought I was one of them. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, I acted like it probably too. So the uh, so started playing drums there and in the worship set and all of that. And... Um, just kind of growing through of that, through sitting in on all that and getting to know people. And then people kept sending teenagers and other people to me who were really messed up. And they're like, oh, well, what happened previous to that is the pastor asked me to share my testimony in front of the church. And, uh, and he wanted me to get into the nitty gritty. And it was, 
it was bad, and I, I hope we don't do this tonight. But it was I just it was where you spend so much time on the backstory talking about all the sin you did, and it's like, and then Jesus saved me, and then that's it. You know, it's like you know, here's all the different sins I've done, and and that's really interesting. And then Jesus saved me, and then my life got boring. I'm not gonna talk about that. But the uh, and so doing that, I became the guy that that everybody sent the really messed up people to. I'm like, oh man, this guy's got a drug problem. Send him to Nick. Oh, this guy's. You know, they tried to kill himself or had suicide, you know, in his family or whatever. Send him to Nick. Mm. It's like, I don't know if that's like, you know, a compliment or a teardown. <laughs> but like, were, were you giving them advice? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was just kind of, I mean, I didn't know. Like, it wasn't biblical. Like, hey, sure. hey stop that. It was kind of, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. It was yeah. just yeah. like, I, I don't know. I remember specifically somebody sending a teenager to me. Their father had died. And, and I just went to him. Like, they, they were like, they came up to me and I was just like, I bet everybody's telling you how sorry they are. They're like, yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to tell you that. I'm just going to tell you it sucks. I know it sucks. And saying I'm sorry doesn't help anything, mm. but just know, I know it sucks. They're like, thank you. Like they just, <laughs> they didn't want anybody to try to fix it. They just yeah. wanted somebody to just grieve for them, you mm-hmm. know? And I was like, yeah, I, it's, it's, <laughs> there's nothing that anybody can say that's going to make it better. Right. Especially, um, when you're for me, like my father not knowing the Lord or anything like that, there was no eternal hope to look to or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, I didn't have those categories back then, but the um, so just you know, I think that was some of it, just kind of ministering from experience. Uh, I, I, I'm sure I said many unbiblical things, but the uh, most part it was things like that. You know, it's like, well, I've been there, so let me, like, I can tell you what not to do or mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I think just knowing that somebody had been through the things they went through and yet somehow were, they made it through it still alive and, you know, we're a human being contributing to society, <laughs> like just seeing, oh, there is light at the end of the tunnel, life mm-hmm. will go on, that type of thing. Um, so it was doing that. But then the youth pastor, when he saw me kind of making connections with the teenagers, he asked me to consider teaching Sunday school. And I was like, dude, that's a bad idea. Teaching the kids? Yeah, or like teaching the youth, youth, teaching okay, youth gotcha. Sunday school. And I was like, that's a bad idea. He's like, why? I said, well, it's like, I have a King James prison Bible that I <laughs> don't even understand. Like, I'm just now trying to read it, and it's not really working out very well. It's like, I shouldn't, shouldn't teach it. So he was like, well, let's get you a Bible that you can actually understand. <laughs> Um, Which I, was? He got me an NIV Life Application Study Bible, wow. which was very helpful at the yeah. time. And mm-hmm. uh, was very deep for me, considering I hadn't understood anything up to that point. <laughs> <laughs> so life application. I didn't, like, I didn't even know how to read it, and now I can apply it. Um, so the, uh, he asked me to consider pre- or teaching, and I said, it's a terrible idea. I'm not going to do that. Um, but he's like, well, just think about it. And so I'm going to get you a Bible you can understand. So he got me this life application study Bible. And he, he started discipling me. We went, we started going through, um, oh, what is it called? Is it Exploring God? Is that right? Huckabee? Hmm. Uh, mm, maybe. No. <laughs> 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 Mike? <laughs> yeah, Mike. I think it's Huckabee, though. But it's not that Huckabee. <laughs> Anyway, it's like find where God's working and join Him is the, the theme of the book. Yeah. And uh, just, I mean, some discipleship one-on-one stuff. And it's like a workbook you work through. Mm-hmm. So we started meeting, going through that, and, and sort of reading the Bible and praying about it. Is this the first time you've been discipled? Yeah, like period. I mean, outside of just like right. generally through the meeting of the saints and yeah. through people talking to me, but never with that kind of intentionality. Uh, so started going through that book and looking at the Bible and talking about 
the things of God and the gospel. Um, and uh, started growing, but I, you know, he's wanting me to teach it. I'm like, I don't want to do that. You know, there's no way. And I was very shy. Um, would have never thought about doing any kind of public speaking in any way. Um, the, I mean, I was okay with playing drums on stage. Just don't ask me to talk in front of anybody, <laughs> you know. Um, the, uh, but it just nagged at me. I just felt like I, like couldn't get it over. I mean, look, looking back, was it God telling me like, no, you're gonna do this? I don't know. But I remember praying and arguing with God. Like, there's this is a terrible idea. Like, I wouldn't even know what to say. And uh, I remember like just having my Bible open and looking down, and the first thing I read was, do not worry about what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will speak through you. Well, I don't encourage Bible study that way, but that was convicting in the moment. I'm like, man, that's, that's not fair, God. Like, <laughs> I, was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. you know. Um, so I went to the youth pastor. I was like, all right, look, man, I'll give it a shot, but if it goes terrible, like, don't, don't come at me blaming me. Um, do you remember what you taught? Well, sort of. So he gave me this curriculum, and he was like, you could just read the curriculum if you want to. And um, I was like, well, I don't want to do that. Like, I want it to be somewhat genuine. Well, um, the lesson was in First John, so I found the First John I could find and, uh, and turned to the chapter it said, and I was reading the Scripture, and then I read the commentary and the lesson, and I was like, this is a, I'm doing this in front of the teenagers, and it doesn't line up. Turns out there's more, like <laughs> yeah. John, then first John. That was deceiving for me. I, I didn't know. I had no background in church whatsoever. I'd never read the Bible. And it's so, uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, and I told the guys, you know, a little warning next time would have helped. There's multiple Johns. <laughs> but and then at the, that moment, he knew, maybe you shouldn't have told <laughs> like, I think I did make a mistake. <laughs> but uh, no, so like... The teenagers pretty much laughed, laughed me out of the room the first time. <laughs> I don't remember the content other than that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And But I remember very pridefully saying, oh, I'm going to come back next time and knock mm-hmm. it out of the park. And uh, and so that week I went home and started studying and uh, somehow got my hands on like a Matthew Henry commentary and I had my study Bible and I had the commentary that came with the study material. And... I fell in love. Hmm. Like I just started seeing depths in the Word of God, started seeing the Word of God for the first time, and it was making sense. And just realized, wow, I can actually understand this. And and I just started like getting my mind blown by what I saw, hmm. to the point to where like um, I was on my wife's computer like all night, just studying stuff, digging in whatever free commentaries I could find. I remember she woke up at like three in the morning one night. And she found me on the computer, and she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, what? And she comes and looks over behind the computer, and she's like, are you studying? I was like, yeah. She's like, you're obsessed. I said, yeah, I'm obsessed with Jesus. Isn't it great? And uh, it kind of freaked her out. And But she said later, she's like, you know, you're really concerned when you find your husband alone in, with the laptop at 3 in the morning. She's like, but that's not what I expected to find. Um I think now she's happy that's what she found. Although yeah. at the time, I think that freaked her out pretty bad too. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was like all the obsess- obsessiveness and addictive personality traits that I already had suddenly kind of got sanctified and pointed towards Jesus and the Word of God. And I just fell in love with the Word. And so started teaching and um, got better and better and better, like just got easier and easier because I was 
so zealous about what I was seeing in the word and was just so excited about it that that excitement overflowed through my lesson. And then others were kind of getting brought into that. Um, so saw a lot of success in the youth room and uh, youth started growing. And um, then all the other Sunday school teachers kind of used me at, for subs type of thing. At that time, Cornerstone was like divided up by age groups, so young adult Sunday school class, uh, you know, young married, middle-aged married, old couple class, so on and so forth. And so I'd just go around to all the age groups. Well, then like all the different people in the classes would tell me things like, man, we think you're called to the ministry. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't. <laughs> How old are you now? Uh, so I may have still been 23. It's still, This is all within the first year of me getting there. I mean, gotcha. this was so unwise what they did because <laughs> I'm saved in April. By the summer, I'm teaching at some point. And so the uh, so maybe the fall, fall or winter, they're telling me things like, we think you're called to the ministry. Um, and I was like, man, I don't. Don't even know what that means, and I, I bet it was because they knew you skated and drummed for sure. And they, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. you're on the fast track. The uh, <laughs> there is a, there's a picture of me on Facebook with hair like down to here teaching Sunday school <laughs> uh, <laughs> somewhere at Cornerstone, and I'm teaching. I think I'm teaching a, a young adults class, like college age. Um, but the um, yeah, so I mean, it was just weird how quickly it happened, and I was just growing my leaps and bounds because I was just loving. I mean, it was like I found a all-you-can-eat buffet, and I just couldn't get enough. I was mm. just taking it in, taking it in. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so started Googling around, trying to figure out what it meant to be called to the ministry. Um, one thing I didn't say before is in 2004, I think when Rachel and I started dating, she encouraged me to get my GED, and I did. Mm. I think that's how that – it was bef- before I was married, I think – um, we got married in October of 2004. Sometime before that, I got my GED, uh, but never went to college or did anything with it. Um, I had thought about going to school to be a music teacher or something like that, something to do with drumming. It's not a lot of like skateboarding things in college, and that was really all I liked to do with skateboarding or drums. Uh, for whatever reason, I always kind of had a bent tor- towards wanting to do something in public service in some way. Um, but the uh, So I thought about the fire academy, uh, policemen, things like that. Uh, but it was hard because I blew my knee out skateboarding, and so doing anything too athletic wasn't going to work very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so all that to say, when I Googled around to see what it meant to be called to the ministry, I found out the call to ministry is a call to prepare, thus saith Al Mohler. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so, I, uh, so I started asking around about Bible colleges, and some people recommended Criswell. We had a few people that graduated from Criswell, um, or parents went there or whatever. And so in fall of 2009, I went and checked out Criswell, went to a preview day, and won a, I won a raffle and won a John Piper book, nice. who I never heard of that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. I read that mm-hmm. book. That messed me up <laughs> in a really good way, but a bad way, because everything I saw in that book was the opposite of everything we were doing at church. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, well, somebody's wrong, <laughs> you know, either him or us. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, um, I, f- I was amazed about what I saw at Criswell. I was like, man, all these people are like studying the Bible. Like there's just a place where you can do this all the time. <laughs> uh, I had no idea what, you know, the call to ministry was going to look like. I didn't feel called to preach or 
anything. I just love the Bible and I love people. And I was like, man, I don't know, like whatever God wants me to do in that realm, I'm cool with it. So I started telling my wife, I was like, I think, I think I should go to Bible college. And uh, I said, what are you talking about? I was like, I, I don't know. I got to feel like God's calling me to go to school. She said, well, God better pay for it because we can't <laughs> afford to go. And, uh, and at that time she's like finishing up her degree. Uh, again, I'm like the only one working. And, uh, we, uh, I told her, I was like, well, I, you know, I think he will if I'm supposed to go. And if he doesn't, I, I won't go. And so, uh, I signed up to start the spring semester of 2010 and, uh, and about two weeks before tuition was due, uh, a woman at Cornerstone who I'd never met before emailed me and said, Hey, I heard you're trying to go to school. I'd like to pay for it. <laughs> so, wow. so, all right. <laughs> Confirmation. And, uh, so it started going, uh, starting on to Criswell and I already had that one Piper belt that kind of, or Piper book that, that messed me up, had that under my belt. And, uh, at that time, right when I started school, I can't remember if it was a requirement or not, but. I think I was supposed to have some kind of like pastoral mentor and my pastor didn't really have time to do it. Well, one of the women who recommended me to go to Criswell, her father was a pastor at a Canton Bible church. And she was like, why don't you ask my dad and see if he can mentor you. So he started mentoring me. Um, so I started going to school and I took a full load, which was really dumb. I'm um, just <laughs> taking a full load, working 12 hour shifts at Freightliner, two children under two, and basically working a full-time job at the church. I mean, I was doing like 40-plus hours of ministry at, mm. at least, you know, in that church building and then also in the life of other believers. Because, again, I'm the guy that everybody goes to when they're really messed up. And so <laughs> the uh, so I'm the one dealing with all the crazy, you know, suicidal situations or drug addict situations or whatever. Um, and now I'm starting to try to put a biblical bent on that. Um and so go to Criswell, I'm taking hermeneutics, Old Testament, New Testament, and ancient world history. And it was daunting. Yeah, at least those are easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I loved it, but I shouldn't have passed because, I mean, I was up till 2 a.m. doing schoolwork every night and had to get up at 5 a.m. to go to work. Mm. Um, so you talk about drinking monsters. <laughs> I was drinking a lot, <laughs> a lot of caffeine, living off that. Mm. Um, and so very little sleep, just reading constantly, studying constantly. Um, but the, during that time in my hermeneutics class, a, one of my fellow students asked me to pray for his pastor who had just got diagnosed with cancer. And he's like, in fact, you would like my pastor. You should look him up and listen to his sermons. I was like, who's your pastor? Pastor's Matt Chandler at the village. It's like, all right, I'll check it out. Had no idea who that was. I looked it up. Well, turned out Matt was going to be out that Sunday because he was having brain surgery. Lo and behold, the guy who's covering for him is John Piper. Oh, I know that guy. I read his book. His one book. His book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, so listen to the sermon, and the sermon was on sovereignty and suffering. And I mean, I never heard anything like that in my life. Blew my mind um, and made me start digging. And I remember looking at the footnotes in his one book that I had uh, and finding references of Puritans and other Reformed authors and started looking that up and about that time i'm still working with the youth uh, one of the mothers of one of the teenagers said hey somebody in my work is um they're they're telling me that calvinism is biblical and i just wanted to get your take on that and i just said uh, i don't know i'll get back to you let me let me do some digging i'll get back to you i'd never heard the term i didn't know what it was and um so i start digging to find out is calvinism biblical 
So I look on the Village's website, looking at all their stuff, and look at John Piper's stuff. And this sends me down this rabbit trail of, oh, no. Like, <laughs> I've never heard any of this. And wait a minute. I, I said a prayer and asked God to save me. Like, I did that, right? Or did, what happened here? You know, and just working through all of this. And I went to my mentor pastor and told him what was going on and told him how it kind of started with reading this Piper book and then uh, reading or listening to this Piper sermon. He's like, well, get through this semester. And he's like, this summer, I'm going to give you my entire Piper library, and you can read through all of them. And so that summer, I did that. I read every Piper book he gave me, which was a lot. He had pretty much all of his books almost. Wow. And by the end of the summer, I was a fire-breathing Calvinist. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I go back to the mom. Yes, it's biblical. <laughs> and, yes, you need to believe it. <laughs> and uh, But, yeah, and so went from not you know, not having any passion about what I was going to do in the ministry, but just knowing that I wanted to do something in ministry to kind of through that digging in Reformed theology and discovering that, uh, that really given me a passion for expounding the word. Mm-hmm. And then I started devouring every Piper sermon I could get a hold of, then did the same thing with Chandler. And at that time, devoured every Mark Driscoll sermon I could get. <laughs> I remember having the Mars Hill app, and I think I listened to every available audio file on that app. <laughs> uh, and of course, they had good music, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, man, I could actually play drums with this and have fun. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I, you know, I doubt he'll ever see this, but just for the record, I despise Chris Tomlin. <laughs> I, that, that was what our church was playing at the time. And I was just like, man... Not another one, no. <laughs> and so I love uh, taking the old hymns and tweaking them and, you know, making them a little funner to play. But yeah. the um, so anyway, so I fell in love with all of that, and that just sent me down a rabbit hole of Reformed theology. And somewhere in the midst of that, fell in love with the Word of God in the sense that I felt like I want to proclaim the Word of God. That's what I want to do. I want to counsel with people with the Word of God. I want, you know, and that, that became apparent, like, oh, this is like pastoral ministry. And so... That became the path. So. so then watching Driscoll, you think, oh, this guy's yelling at me. I should go to, <laughs> I should go into the ministry. Um, no, but in all seriousness, you go from How dare uh, you. teaching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> and you're like, I don't know yet, but I think. I'm working on it. <laughs> Let me tell you in a couple of years, Mark. Uh, you go from... Sunday school to then Chriswell, uh, you end up on staff somehow. How did like how did you go from yeah just serving to That's a interesting route? Uh, so the I preached my first sermon at my mentor pastor's church in 2010. So I I can't remember what month I have it written down somewhere, um, but I remember so Chriswell is just all about exposition. It's got to be expository preaching, which most of the the Baptist college and seminaries for the most part are doing that now, uh, pushing, you know, expository preaching. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I, I went kind of with that mindset to preach this first sermon and I preached through the passage in John, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. First John. Yeah. Right. (laughs) The, the first zero John. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But, uh, blank space, John, the, uh, yeah. So preach to that. And the critique was, wow, that was really textbook. And he was like, you'll, you'll be a much better preacher when you find your own voice and stop doing what Criswell tells you to do. And I remember like being very happy with that. Like, that's, you know, 
It's like, at least I'm learning something. He's mm-hmm. like telling me I'm textbooks. Like, all right, at least I'm not heretical book. Like, so <laughs> I was like, that's good. You know? Um, but the, uh, loved it though. And I mean, the congregation was a very small congregation. They're still there. Maybe 30 people tops, um, meet in like a little chapel at a cemetery. And uh, they were just so gracious, so kind to put up with this young, dumb kid up there trying to figure things out. Um, but preached that sermon, and uh, and that just lit a fire to preach even more. And so then the pastor, like I said, he had, had me share my testimony, um, teaching Sunday school. Then he had me kind of get my feet wet by teaching Wednesday night which Wednesday night then was like a mini service. So it was, I mean, I thought it was preaching and I, I pr- approached it that way. It's like, just do a shorter sermon type of thing. Um, so did some stuff. And I mean, looking back on it, it was probably straight plagiarism. Um, not intentionally, but I don't think I said an original thing. I mean, it was just, how dare you? Who do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> That's all you I, uh, yeah. I mean, to some Jesus degree or another, it was probably, a, yeah, it was yeah. a big shuffling of <laughs> everything I had been absorbing, more or less, I'm sure. Because um, I don't remember doing a ton of digging and studying the text. But <laughs> I do remember thinking, I've heard this. I know this. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, a lot of grace from the congregation back then. Uh, but I, I think um, I think the zeal and the passion went a long way with everybody. Um, and uh, oh man, I, I remember saying some really unbiblical things and getting some serious amens, mm. like preach the gospel at all times when you have to use words. Yep, I said that. That's Jake's favorite. Yeah, yeah. I'll <laughs> repent now. It's, it's a safe place, right? <laughs> I, I confess. Um, I How t- dare you? I take, it, I take it back. I take it back. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that that bad stuff happened, but it led me towards more good stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And so realizing, like, oh man, we we've got to do better than this, and started digging and learning and growing. So I go to Criswell for three years. Uh, I only went the first semester full time, and then after that, started going part time because it almost killed me. Um, but I started being mentored by Dr. James Bryant there who was W.A. Criswell's right-hand man for years, and he was kind of like the pastor of evangelism at First Baptist Dallas for years and years and years. Uh, I think he was right around 80 during this time when he was mentoring me and just had amazing stories Mm -hmm. from being with Criswell and Billy Graham and just all around the world. And um, he, uh, He would take students to the First Baptist Church of Jacksonville's pastor's conference in Florida, and so I went out there, and that was where I got introduced to Mark Dever through him. I met Mark Dever the first time, and then got given Nine Marks of a Healthy Church and started devouring everything I could get from Nine Marks uh, because that piggybacked on what I had read in Brothers We Are Not Professionals. Mm-hmm. And so I just fell in, I fell in love with the church first, with the people, but then I fell in love with ecclesiology as I started studying it. So I kind of get fed this Reformed stuff, which— you know, my Presbyterian friends were, will still say, you have yet to discover Reformed theology, you know, but mm-hmm. the uh, I was at least getting my feet wet. But what at, Piper led me to the Puritans, and we would all agree the Puritans are Reformed, um, especially John Bunyan, because he's Baptist. But the, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, I, so I'm reading good Reformed stuff, but I'm not reading a lot on the church. And so then Nine Marks comes along, and that kind of feeds into that. And so I just start having this growing vision for what I would like to see at our church. And, um, 
And I had conversations with Mark Dever and people at Nine Marks about like, how do we reform this thing? And he's like, well, you're not on staff and you're not the pastor. And so you don't, you know, it's basically what he said. Uh, he's like, you can give them some good books. Uh, so I did. I remember like giving my pastor every Nine Marks book I could get. And a lot of Nine Marks conferences, they'll hand out free books and then uh, they'll have a lot left over typically. And I went to Dever and, and the guys who were with him and be like, hey, can I just get what you have left over so I can give them away to my deacons and, and the staff and the church? He's like, absolutely, take it. So, I mean, they would give me books by the box. And uh, so I remember like all the little hardback Nine Marks books, just mm-hmm. giving them to everybody. Well, I don't. I did that in probably 2011. Um, and so this is all kind of happens real quick, boom, boom, boom. And, uh, and in 2012, like, I don't know, you know, at least a year after I put the book on my pastor's desk, he was like, "Hey, I finally read that book you gave me. The What Is a Healthy Church? It was the little one, not the, the not marks of a healthy church." He's like, "That's pretty good stuff." He's like, "Maybe, maybe we should do some of that." I'm like, "Yeah, you think so? We should." <laughs> and uh, and so he asked me and Gary Brown, who you two know mm-hmm. uh, at our church, he asked us to to the three of us to do a sermon series on uh, non marks of a healthy church, and so it was like a topical sermon series about that. So I, I got asked to do a topical sermon series on ex, expository preaching yeah. and on plurality of elders and all this stuff that we didn't have, we weren't <laughs> doing. And I was just like, all right, let's see if I can do this in a gracious manner. A topical sermon on exposition. <laughs> for the record, that's what that was before it became a chapter in a book. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, did that and um, just started preaching all the time then Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and somewhere in there, I think it was t- 2012, I got asked to go and do an interim pastor uh, spot for six weeks at a little Southern Baptist church in Coffin. Um, and so went and did that, and that was when they first, like, they asked me, they're like, would you would you consider, like, uh, coming on here as our pastor? Wouldn't you want to put your resume in the hat? And I was like, huh. Like, in my mind, I just thought, like, it's going to be a long time before that happens. And so I was like, yeah, let's throw it in there. Like, well, what's your resume? I was like, I don't really have one. So it's <laughs> a like high school dropout. Uh, <laughs> so I put together something that looked really, but really bad. A skater and a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. hip this place up real quick. <laughs> but the, um, so I put together a resume that had, like, I'm a Calvinist. I'm you know, reform, all this stuff that's like, what, how can I make them mad? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so did all of that. And I don't know, I never heard anything. Hmm. Never, they never called me. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was weird. Uh, but that kind of put the, the thought in my mind, like, well, maybe, maybe it's sooner rather than mm-hmm. later. Um, and, but then I thought, you know, it'd be probably better if I not become a senior pastor and just do associate pastor or something. Um, so, uh, around, um, Oh, well, 2013, like I not only now I'm not only reformed or reformed Baptist in my uh, my soteriology and in my ecclesiology, but then I discovered kind of reform eschatology. And so I become all millennial, which was a problem at Criswell. Criswell is a very dispensational school. Mm-hmm. And so they could deal with me being a Calvinist. They didn't like it. Uh, however, my hermeneutics professor is a Calvinist. <laughs> and uh, and so the guy who taught me how to read the Bible lo and behold, mm-hmm. does it from a Reformed perspective. So don't be surprised when the people come out <laughs> Calvinistic. Uh, however, so I um, somehow discover amillennial uh, ecclesiology, I mean, uh, eschatology. 
um, and just fell in love with it. I was trying to figure out what was right because I was taught dispensationalism. Uh, one of my New Testament professors just said, everything you guys have ever learned is wrong in every place. And, and people were crying, running out of the class, and it was just a mess. I mean, it's like, that's one approach, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I went to my mentor, and I was like, what do I do? You know, like, he's making people cry and send them out of the room. He's like, you need to figure out what you believe and why. He's like, so try to make your own statement of faith. And he's like, just look at the bullet points that every statement of faith has and figure out what you believe for each of those bullet points. And so I started doing that, just digging in the Bible um, and so I started looking at the major views on eschatology, and the one that made the most sense to me was was amillennialism, mm -hmm. which, lo and behold, was a very Reformed perspective. And so it's like, all right, well, that makes sense. That's how I'm already coming at the Bible. And so um, I, uh, I was getting uncomfortable at Criswell, and so decided, like, I need to go somewhere that's a little more Reform-friendly. And plus, I was having a hard time keeping up with going in person, and I became aware of a boys college at Southern Seminary I could go online and I was like oh sweet I can transfer all my credits over and just finish up online and it'll be more friendly or whatever somehow uh, during that time the uh, no I know what happened uh, in 2011 Jesse Bass came on staff at Cornerstone and uh, and he was not a Calvinist and I was a cage stage Calvinist <laughs> who needed to make everybody Calvinist <laughs> And so me and him started bumping heads, and I, I just had to tell him why he was wrong. And so I started feeding him books. And um, somehow or another, I came across this book, Gospel Wakefulness, by Jared Wilson. And this was 2012, 2000, going into 2013, somewhere in there. And me and him read that book together. So I had, like, I was born again, and then I discovered Reformed Theology, and I was born again again. And then I discovered, like, good Baptist, Reformed Baptist ecclesiology, and I was born again, again, again. And then I discovered gospel-centered theology. And then it was like, you know, I was just born. <laughs> and uh, so that, like, Southern was kind of where all of that met because they were talking gospel-centered, they were talking Reformed, and a lot of these guys were all millennial. And uh, so I just started going to Boyce College at Southern, and loved it. And uh, about that time, uh, my first semester in Boyce, a guy, uh, Stan Britton, who was a pastor of a Church of Buffalo Creek, was just getting started, Southern Baptist of Texas Church Plant in Rockwall. Uh, he started talking to me about, well, he, he pitched to me when he first planted the church and tried to get me and Jesse to consider coming. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. We're staying at Cornerstone. And um, however, I was pretty upset with the way a lot of things were going, but I just didn't feel led to leave because I love the people so much. And, um, and so then later on, um, I'm more and more discontent the more I'm growing in my theology. And Stan and I were friends, and he knew that. And so he was like, man, I'm looking for an associate pastor to come on. And he's like, what, what would you think about coming on and being my associate pastor for like two years, and then we'll send you out to plant a church? And their church seemed to be doing really well. And I wanted to go be an associate pastor at a healthy church. And I say associate pastor, like I was willing to do anything. I would have been a janitor. I didn't care. I just wanted to go be a part of a healthy church and uh, and then figure out, like, either I'm going to go be a senior pastor or plant or whatever. Um, so he was like, well, give me a resume, and we're going to throw it in the hat because I've got some other guys who are going to apply for it too. And I thought, well, I'm not going to get it because like, I don't have a degree. Like, And like, if they look at my testimony, they're just going to be like, whoa, this guy's a mess. And 
he's only been at one church. And, uh, but at this point I had been, uh, I went from teaching Sunday school to being a deacon to then becoming the youth guy at the church because the youth pastor moved on um, and then, you know, preached so many times done. And so I kind of done everything in the church at this point, except for pastor, um, though I was doing a lot of different things that were similar to pastor. And, uh, and so lo and behold, Stan comes back. He's like, man, they, our elders want to hire you. I was like, well, why? And he's like, because you're a churchman. He's like, you've been doing this in the church since 2008. It's like you got saved and got to work, and you've been at the church the whole time just blowing and going. He said, yeah, these other guys got degrees, but they've never done anything. Like, <laughs> they've never been in a church. Like they went to seminary, and then now they're coming and trying to get a degree or trying to get hired on at a church after they got their degree, but they weren't in a church while they were doing it. I mean, I'm sure they were attending, but they weren't serving or whatever. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. Um, I was like, all right, well, let me think about it, pray about it. Well, about that time, a guy you guys know, Eric Creekmore, reached out to me with basically the same offer. And I don't know how that happened. Actually, I do know how that happened, now that I think back on it. It started with his wife, Heather, and Amy, who both taught spin class at the same gym. And they got to talking, and she was telling Amy how her and Eric had been talking about wanting me to come over there. And I don't even know, I think I'd met Eric a handful of times at this point, but not much. Yeah. Uh, mainly because I was just desperate to talk to, like, oh, there are Calvinistic pastors in the area. You know, I didn't know. Um, and so I loved Acts 29 because of the village and, and the connections there and how that helped me grow. And, of course, Driscoll uh, in, at the time. And so I think I looked up Eric's sermons and stuff like that and met with him a handful of times. But uh, So he basically offered me the same idea. And, and so I was like, all right, I don't know. Like, let me go talk to my pastor and tell him my heart about what's going on because I'm very discontent. It's like, I love the man. He led me to the Lord, but I disagree with so much, you know, because of my own convictions theologically and ecclesiologically and all of these different things. Mm-hmm. So, but the last thing I'd ever want to do is hurt him or the church. So let me go talk with him. So I go to our pastor, Bob Price, and I tell him like, look, I've got these other two job offers. You know, like I was very open. I was like, I'm Calvinist, like... You know, like I'm very committed to this nine marks church philosophy of ministry, um, and we're not. <laughs> and like, I don't want to hurt your ministry, and I'm just very discontent. So maybe it's just time for me to go and get some experience at another church and see how a healthy gospel centered church works, and then see what the Lord has for me. And uh, he's like, "Well, or you could stay here and become my associate pastor." And I can kind of groom you to be the next guy here and make sure that you're kind of the natural choice to be the next pastor because I'm about to retire. And I was like, why, why would you do that? Like, because we disagree on so much. And he was like, at that time, so I told you, I think the church was 300-ish when we joined. Now it's like closer to 100. And we had dwindled, dwindled, dwindled. Uh, just a very typical Southern Baptist story of a dying Southern Baptist church mm-hmm. in decline. Cornerstone was planted in 1981, July 1981, and um, and it kind of re- reached its peak heyday through the church philosophy of ministry that Bob was taking, and he saw that, and he said, you know, the way I'm going, is, it's it's kind of went up and now going down, and he said, I, th- I think the way you want to go is the right way. He's like, I think, think that's what the church needs, and I think it'll be good for him, uh, which 
was very humble on his part to say yeah. that, and I appreciated it. I, I don't know if he would still support that based on everything I did. He probably it's like, man, that's not what I meant, Nick. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> the uh, so for me, it's the only church I've been a part of. Like yeah. the, these were my family. Mm-hmm. We moved to Texas. We had Rachel's small family, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And my family was a mess back home. You know, my father committed suicide. Mother, brother, both in in and out of facilities, drugs, alcohol, the whole nine. I never had a family dynamic, really. And now these people love me unconditionally. And I remember being at Criswell thinking, like, listening to all these people talk about their, their ambitions of, I can't wait to go pastor a church here and get out of my hometown and do this. And I just remember thinking, like, I'm going to have to do that one day. I'm going to have to leave the people I love. How am I going to do that? Like, I can't imagine leaving these people. That's like leaving mom and dad. That's, you know, leaving my brother and sister. And I just couldn't even imagine it. And so when the opportunity came to stay, I said, oh, man, that sounds really good. Mm -hmm. And so Rachel and I, we prayed about it. We talked about it. And both of us just had such a peace about staying, though I knew, like I told her, I was like, if we stay and do what I want to do, it's going to go bad. Like there's gonna be some really bad years, and it's gonna get way worse before it gets better. But we both felt like that's what God was calling us to do. We just we were never, whenever we were frustrated and we wanted to leave, we were never on the same page. Like I would want to leave, she'd want to stay, or I'd want to stay and she'd want to leave, and we could never agree. But then we both agreed to stay every time, you know. And so, so I had to tell Eric, no, you know, thank you, but no, thank you. I had to tell Stan, thank you, but no, thank you. We're gonna stay. And. Eric went with a silver medal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, gold. <laughs> so that was September of, uh, well, that was probably August of 2013. And then I was brought on staff. And so I started boys in spring of 2013. So all that kind of unfolds. Then in August, July, August is when we're having these conversations. And I officially get voted in and brought on staff in September of 2013. So does he say in that moment, <clears throat> okay, I'll uh, essentially mentor you for a year and then you'll take over? Or is it kind of a slow roll? What's the... Yeah. So then it all gets really blurry and messy. Okay. <laughs> so first things first, he said, well, you're going to be associate pastor over missions and evangelism and home groups. Um. And so that immediately causes some problems because I was very passionate about missions. Um, and then I was very passionate about evangelism in the everyday sphere, not event evangelism, which I think is what he had in mind. Mm-hmm. And so I started pushing back against the grains and we're bumping heads about that because I want people to share the gospel in their everyday life, not do events to get them to come to us while we share the gospel, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're bumping heads and on different things, but we did, um, we, we started discussing how to do home groups. We tried it a few times before that and it wasn't really working. And so I was like, well, you know, I went to school with a guy named Zach Lee, who's a home groups pastor at the village. The village does big home groups, you know, ministry or whatever. I was like, so why don't we go and so let me call Zach and see if they'd be willing to give us some training. He's like, okay. So the whole staff went over there. So we had a children's mm-hmm. minister. We had Jesse, who was a worship uh, worship guy, and then me, associate pastor. We had a part-time youth pastor at the time, and then full-time senior pastor. 
we had a secretary too at the time, but everybody was part-time, but the pastor and the secretary. And, uh, and so the pastor, the children's minister, Jesse and I all went to the village and go train, do that. And they basically, their advice was don't kill anything to start something new. Like keep everything you have going and then just offer home groups on top of it. So we started trying to do that. And, uh, so I, I went through, um, I proposed us to do Tim Keller's The Gospel in Life, mm-hmm. um, and which I loved it. And some people in the church loved it. A lot of people hated it. <laughs> and a lot of, you know, Tim Keller's acquired taste, I suppose, anyways, yeah, sure. because he's not, mm-hmm. he's not like, he's not going to draw, he's not Piper, right? He's not right. yelling at you, he's not Piper's, I mean, it's not, he's not passionate, his hands aren't moving all over the place. <laughs> he's just kind of chill and just tells you how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just loved everything he was talking about because I was the gospel-centered aspect of everything. I was I'd just been born, 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 born again, yeah. and I was like, <laughs> "We need this gospel-centered stuff." And uh, the um, so I was doing that, and then uh, there was problems in staff meetings where it came off as Jesse and I against the world because. I had convinced Jesse that he was wrong and that Calvinism was right, uh, or God did by his sovereign grace. And uh, But he had come over to the dark side and uh, and then the gospel center stuff and all that. And then I was feeding Jesse all the Nine Marks books and all that. So I had a, an advocate on staff with me. And so it was very much me and Jesse against everybody else type of thing. And so, yeah, somewhere in there, none of, no mentorship was really happening. I mean, we were meeting for breakfast and talking and stuff, but there was no real preparation other than he would be like, hey, there's somebody died and you're going to do the funeral, you know, or you'll do the Lord's Supper this time, stuff like that. No real training, just kind of sink or swim, get in there and do it, and uh, which was helpful. But the, uh, yeah, so what ended up happening is like everybody was like, is he going to retire? Because he didn't only say it to me. He said it to Gary. Me and Gary and him were in a breakfast meeting, and he would mentioned this, I'm going to retire, I'm going to bring Nick on as the next guy, so on and so forth. Um, and, uh, so, and all the deacons had gotten wind of it. We didn't have a plurality of elders at the time. And well, the deacons were starting to get frustrated and the, um, they went to him and said, it's, it's time. Like, you've got to consider retiring. And I I can't remember how old he was early to mid seventies. I think, um, I want to say 75, but that's probably not right. Um, but so late 2014, they're telling him, like, you've got mid-2014, they're telling me you've really got to, to make this happen and create a timeline on when you're going to retire. So he announced it uh, to the church, I think, in December of 2014, and then officially retired in March of 2015. And then um, he did not recommend me in any way. And there was no Nick's a natural choice in any way. Mm. Um, it was just like, good luck. Mm. And... And basically, his, he, what he said was, well, I don't want to impose my opinions on the church. I want to let the church be congregational and, and do what they want to do. Um, so, all right. So so then it was just kind of like, all right, let's 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 see if any of this is going to work out. So they met with Ernie McCluskey, who was the director of missions, and he started trying to help them. Like, all right, you need to find an interim pastor. Is he going to take over? And then we'll put together a pulpit search committee and start looking for a pastor. And, uh, and so I just was like, hey, I'd be happy to do the the um, interim pastor, if you guys are okay with that. Uh, but just so you know, I'm going to put my name in that as well. So I don't know if you want to do that or not. Uh, so the church ended up saying, well, let's let's talk about it. Let's vote about it. Um, 
And uh, so they ended up voting me in as the interim pastor right when, technically before he retired. So it was like, as all that was happening. Uh, so I came on in March. And so I started doing everything I could possibly think of that was going to make them mad. Just like, here's all the reasons you shouldn't hire me. Like, and did that. And it was me and 80 something other applicants. Um, and then they narrowed it down to me and two other guys and the two other guys bowed out hmm. and they took pastor somewhere else. And so they're like, all right, wow. that's God leading us to you. And so then, uh, then they had one final interview with me, uh, that Sunday morning, I, uh, I was running a terrible, I'm just chasing rabbits right now. I'm telling you part of the story, but you didn't <laughs> ask this, but you're going to get it <laughs> that morning. I go to preach and I am, um, I'm running like 102 degree temperature. Mm-hmm. I feel terrible. I feel like I swallowed a steak knife. And that started on Friday at my job. I was still working at Freightliner full time doing all this. And uh, I just felt horrible. Like it legit felt like I had a steak knife in my abdomen. And I didn't know why. I thought I had food poisoning or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still felt terrible Sunday morning. But I just refused not to preach because like, I'm going to get this job. I'm not going to bow out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the pulpit committee said, hey, we want to we want to have a final interview with you tonight and uh, go through everything and ask you a ton of questions and work through everything. I was like, all right, sure. Um, so I preached, felt terrible. I could barely, I, I don't think I could stand. I think I had to sit down. And like my wife says, ghost white, was just drinking a ton of water and couldn't even stand, just so weak. And she was like, you've got to cancel that, that interview, the meeting. I was like, no, no way. Like, unless I'm dead, I'm going, you know. Um, so I went, and it was like a four-hour interview. Um, and, I mean, one of the things they asked me were, like, what are some things that if people knew about you and your beliefs that they wouldn't like? And I was like, well, I'm a Calvinist. I'm amillennial. I'm complementarian. You know, so, <laughs> but they gave me, like, hours to explain what all that stuff means. Yeah. Uh, so did that. And, uh, and so then they walked me through what a potential uh, um, benefits package would look like, how much I get paid, all that. I was like, yeah, I can make that work. And... So, um, the, uh, so they told, they, they had the interview, um, and then that night they called me back and said, Hey, we decided we're, you're the one we're going to recommend you to the church if you're willing to accept a call. And I was like, absolutely. And they said, okay, so in two weeks you're going to preach in view of a call, which just means like make your sermon really good because we're going to vote on you after that. So, okay, well, so that's Sunday, the next Monday, I still feel absolutely horrible (laughs) And my daughter just happens to wake up sick as well. And so I told my wife, I said, I'm going to take her to the doctor. And I'm going to ask them to see me too because something's wrong. So I went to Care United here in Forney and told them what was going on. They felt over my abdomen and they were like, you've got something going on. You need to go over down the street and get a CT scan quickly. So I go to go over there. You might have a steak knife. Yeah, (laughs) that's what it may be. Like you got stabbed when they pressed across my (laughs) belly. But uh, so I go to get the CT scan. And they're like, all right, this is going to be $1,200. And I'm like, uh, I can't just spend $1,200. Let me call yeah, my here's wife. Here's your scan back. No thanks. Yeah, so let, me call my wife. <laughs> let me call my wife and make sure we have $1,200 in the bank and that we can actually pay for this. So I call my wife. I'm like, hey, the doctor wants me to get the CT scan. They're really concerned, but it's going to be $1,200. And she's like, no, go back to Care United and tell them to give you some antibiotics and go home. You're fine. <laughs> And uh, I was like, well, let me let me call her. Let me call the doctor and see what she says. I called the doctor and, she, and she's like, look, I'll happily give you antibiotics, but please 
beg your wife. I'm telling you, you need that CT scan. <laughs> She's like, I'm not, not trying to get over on you. Like, it's not about antibiotics. I'll give you the antibiotics, but there's something else going on. Mm -hmm. So I call my wife back and I'm like, look, the doctor's very concerned and really wants me to have this CT scan. And she's like, well, talk to him, see if there's any way to do a payment plan or whatever. Well, there was, I didn't have to pay it all right then. So yeah. anyway, so I get the CT scan and lo and behold, there is a hole in my colon. And so they immediately are like, go to Rockwall Prez now. We're hmm. calling them ahead of time. A surgeon's going to meet you there. Um, they're going to check you out and they're like, you're probably just going to be on IV antibiotics for a week, but worst case scenario, you might have to have surgery. So surgeon comes, checks me out, and he's like, oh, yeah, you got to have surgery. I'm like, oh, no. And so freaking out, well, you know. How does one get a hole in their colon? It's diverticulitis. So basically you eat something that your body reacts badly to, hmm. and just the same way that you can get an infection on your skin, you get an infection in your bowel somewhere, hmm. yeah. and that infection turns into a abscess that, you know, basically rips open. Okay. So, um, no, I was swallowing steak knives. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, he, it could have been anything. Like, he didn't know. Um, never had it before. Um, you know, a lot of people who have diverticulitis always get it when they eat seeds or nuts or something like that. Mm. Nothing like that. Mm. <laughs> the weekend before, I did eat a lot of red meat. Uh, <laughs> but so I'm sure that was trouble digest digesting is what led to that. But mm. um, so I go and... Uh, so I'm just like freaking out. I'm going to have to have surgery. And so my wife's freaking out. I was like, you come meet me at the hospital. I was like, before you go, like, will you go home and give me some books? And she's like, what do you want? I said, will you get me Piper's The Pleasures of God? Because I just want to think about how big God is right now. Because I feel very small and frightened. And uh, it's like, I've never had to have this kind of emergency surgery like this. And I don't know, you know, and like they're talking about if I... Um, get septic it could go really bad and they don't know how big the hole is so of course now she's freaking out so she brings me a book anyway so i'm reading piper surgeon walks in and he sees what i'm reading and he says uh he's like are you a christian i was like yeah yeah and uh he said well, what do you what do you do i was like well it's funny you asked that i'm like i'm do this right now but i'm <laughs> kind of pastoring and i'm about to be voted on as a pastor he's like, oh you're a pastor i was like well maybe we'll see <laughs> And, uh, and he's like, why Depends you... on how you do, Doc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that too. But uh, he's like, why are you reading The Pleasures of God? And I told him, and, uh, and I was like, well, I'm a Calvinist, and, you know, Piper's a Calvinist, and a strong view of the sovereignty of God. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a Calvinist too. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I tell you what, man, um, I'm going to do your surgery for free. And uh, so I think it was more because I was a Calvinist and I was a uh, maybe pastor, but maybe it was all of that. I don't know. So that was, that huh. actually freaked me out worse because like, man, I must really need the surgery <laughs> because he's not even getting paid and he's going to do it. Like, uh, cause I was like, well, wasn't there a chance we're going to do antibi or antibiotics or whatever? He's like, no, this is far past that. Hmm. Um, so anyway, so they opened me up and there was a quarter size hole in my colon and they had to remove wow. 18 inches of my colon. Um, well, during that time, as I'm under the knife, uh, one of the people in the pulpit committee was not happy with any of my answers. And they didn't say anything to the committee. They waited till afterward and began to tell everybody in the congregation who they thought would listen, Nick's a Calvinist. Um, he's going to rip this church apart. He's going to make us Presbyterian. Uh, we're going to start baptizing babies up in here. Everything's <laughs> going bad. You know, uh, Just all kind of crazy stuff. And so while I'm in surgery, my phone is blowing up, not because people are concerned about me, but because they're concerned about their church and they're afraid I'm going to kill it and turn it into a Presbyterian church or something. Um, so when I get out, I've got like 50,000 texts and calls 
And uh, somebody calls me, I forget who it was, and they're asking me all this stuff about church. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm like fighting for my life right now. Can I, I'm just, we'll talk about it later. So I ended up turning my phone off, and uh, the uh, I, I get way worse after the surgery. And so I'm sicker after the surgery than I was before. I can't stop throwing up. And, of course, my stomach is, like, stapled shut. I've got, you know, all these wounds on me. Mm-hmm. And throwing up after your abdomen's been cut open is not fun. Yeah. You know, and so you're straining and pulling all the muscles that have just been cut open. And uh, and so I don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going on. It's not normal for people to be as sick as, as I am. And, like, I'm green and just can't hold anything down. I uh, just can't can't stop throwing up. And so people are coming from the church who legitimately care about me. And they're looking at Rachel and they're like, was he that bad before? And she's like, no, he's gotten so much worse. And they don't know what's going on. And so... Like, I just begged the doctors, like, can you please just knock me out? Because every time I'm awake, I'm just throwing up nonstop, and it hurts so bad. So they are giving me Finnegan, which is supposed to help with the nausea, but it basically just knocked me out all the time. Mm-hmm. So if I was conscious, I was vomiting and uh, or dry heaving or whatever, and it was just straight bile and nastiness because I hadn't eaten anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, so eventually they figure out that I'm allergic to the pain medication they're giving me. Gosh. And that's what's almost killing me. And so once they take me off that, it's like, wow, he's so much better. <laughs> <laughs> so they, uh, they were trying to kill me afterward. Uh-huh. But, um, but basically the core of the church was there rallied around Rachel helping out. Uh, but other people were rallying the troops against me and Rachel ready to vote against me. So I come back in two weeks and I'm, you know, cut open week, all that. And, um, come back and preach in view of a call, and all of these people who I've never met before show up to vote against me. And at that time, Cornerstone had an average attendance of like 100-something, um, not even 100-something, it's probably like 80, 90-something typically. There's 130-plus people there this Sunday, and at least 30-plus I had never met. But their membership roles was like we had hundreds of people in the membership role. Mm. Which means... They can vote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they showed up just to vote against me. And so the woman on the pulpit committee had told some people who told some people who told some people, and they rallied all the troops, and they come to vote against me. So I get voted in, though, by one vote. And I, I think it was like I had to have a 75% approval rating, and it was like barely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got voted in. And I don't know if if all those people would have been there all the time. I probably wouldn't have took it like if I thought I was going to rip the church apart that mm-hmm. bad. Like the yeah. you know basically a quarter of the church didn't want me there, uh, but that quarter didn't even go there. You know, it's like you don't yeah. even go here. Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember you know one person telling me I've been a member here since 1986. I was like I've been here since 2008. And I've never seen you. <laughs> like where are you? Like do you come? Um, yeah. So got voted on just narrowly, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and the rest is history after that. So that that's how I became pastor. <laughs> Man. A really roundabout way of answering your question, and you got to hear about my colon. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was. Uh, that was for free. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Just a little added bonus. So it was smooth sailing from then on out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Not a bump. So it was interesting because, like I said, I tried to do the things that I thought would irritate people, the things that, the changes, some of the changes that I was going to implement. So, I mean, immediately started doing expository preaching. I killed the altar call. Um, I talked a lot about plurality of elders. Um, I started talking about meaningful membership. And even during the interim period, 
Uh, anybody who wanted to join, I made them go through a membership class that had never happened before. We didn't even have a confession of faith, but then I, I started using a confession of faith in the membership class that wasn't even ours. We didn't have a church covenant. I did the same thing. Um, so I started using the New Hampshire Baptist Confession, I think 1853, if I remember right, and uh, a covenant. Basically just robbed a bunch of stuff from Mark Dever. And uh, so started doing all that, and um, the... Exposition, expository preaching was the first. Well, first, the people who voted against me, most of them left, right? So immediately we go back down to a little under 100. And then some of them stayed with the intent of, I'm going to run you off. And uh, and some of them had a change of heart through that, and some of them just left when they realized they weren't going to run me off. Um, but then the first thing that ran people off outside of that was like the uh, expository preaching, and then everybody was concerned about me being a Calvinist. And so some of the deacons were like, you need to do a series that hits on Calvinism so people will know what you believe and you can work through this. And I knew they weren't used to expository preaching. So the first series I did was on the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm excited about to get to do that over again. And, uh, and Lord willing, do it right this time. <laughs> but the, um, So I, I didn't do a big book. I just did three chapters. And because I thought the Sermon on the Mount really shows what a Christian is. And I knew we had some nominal Christianity in the church. I was like, this will help them see what a true follower of Christ looks like. Uh, and it did. That helped a lot with some things. And that's why some of the people had some heart changes through that. Just a lot of gospel and a lot of the words of Christ, which was so good for everybody. But no real Calvinism or anything in that. And um, so then the next series I did when they were telling me you should do something that is on Calvinism, I was like, well, let's preach through Romans 8. We'll just do just that chapter. And I was like, we'll get there eventually. And when I did, the same deacons who asked me to do the series stood up and left and said, I can't be a part of a church that believes in a God like that. Hmm. And they're like, that's not Baptist to believe in that. And uh, yeah, just a lot of a lot of crazy stuff like that. And so a lot of people left because of Calvinism. Um, then um, things went okay for a little while. And we started kind of picking up some steam. What, what year is this? This is still 2015. So how old are you now? Um, 30. Okay. Yeah. When you were voted in, were you 30? 30. Right. Yeah. And so uh, the so turned 30 in February, interim in March, and then from there in June, voted on June 7th of 2015, a date that shall live in infamy. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, so um, all within that, all these things happen real quick. Um, it may have been early 2016, the, no, it wasn't. It was it was still 2015, um, because we got through that all those those exoduses, if you will, and uh, exodi. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) 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 You don't even want to know. What are multiple platypus? What's a platypus? That was what was going through my head. I don't know why. Thanks thanks for... You got buttermilk, apple, (laughs) platy. No. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I'm going to regain my composure. Uh, So, get into Romans 8. That happens. Then I started... um, First Peter, I think. And I was just looking for short books to do, sticking primarily to New Testament, um, which I like to do anyway. I wanted to, I did the Psalms over the summer months um, in 2016, 
and would bounce back for the Old Testament a little bit here and there. But by and large, just given where the church was in the maturity and uh, given where I was in my maturity and my lack of preaching skills, I just felt more comfortable in the New Testament. I mean, I would use the Old Testament as illustrations, things like that. But uh, so First Peter, and I start realizing, like, I mean, I already knew, but we had a lot of idolatry uh, when it came to America. Mm. Um, and, I mean, I'm all for healthy patriotism, but that it wasn't that. It was worse to the point where, like, America was like the new Israel type stuff is what I was seeing. Um, and so I would make it a point when I was preaching to First Peter to say things like, uh, we are not an American church. We are a church that happens to meet in America. The church is a heavenly embassy, right? We represent heaven on earth. Yes, we are. We have a dual citizenship, but our primary citizenship is, is heavenly. And I would say stuff like that. Well, during this time, we had grown through a lot of people coming in who were hungry for expository preaching and realized I was a Calvinist, and that's why they were there. So we had a lot of cage-stage Calvinists there. Um, and not a lot, but we were, that's who was growing and some different people in the, um, had come in during that time, uh, that were, you know, of the same theological convictions as me. And so they were hearing what I was saying and they were like, you know, if this is true, why do we have this American flag on the stage? And so we had the American flag, Christian flag on the stage, which Rachel knew I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't, you know, I knew I had plenty of other problems to worry about and I just <laughs> didn't want to go there. Uh, well... It was a like a cleanup work day on a Saturday, and her and some other some of our new members were uh, were in the worship center cleaning some stuff up, and somebody mentioned like, "Hey, if we're you know if what Nick says is true, if like we're not an American church, why do we have this flag?" And and Rachel's like, "Ah, you know, he doesn't really want it there, but you know." And so she said that. So then it got moved, and she didn't move it, but she feels at fault, even though I don't think she is, just for saying that. That, that that was my wish, I guess you could say. Um, and so it got moved into a storage closet. I didn't even know this. She didn't tell me this. And I don't even know if she knew it was moved into a storage closet, but she said what she said. And uh, so the next Sunday I preach, and uh, that Sunday afternoon, one of my deacons, who's a retired Navy SEAL, calls me and says, where's our flags? So what are you talking about? He's <laughs> like, somebody called me, told me you got rid of the flags. Maybe you did some stuff to them. It's like, what, like flag burning or what? He's like, maybe. I don't know. You know, And I was like, no. I was like, hang on. Let me see what's going on. So ask around. Figure out what's going on. Call him back. I said, here's what happened. I'm sorry that happened. I didn't mean for that to happen. I said, but can I just explain to you why I think biblically they shouldn't be in there anyway? Mm. He's like, sure. I mean, this guy was a huge supporter of me, very kind. Um, his wife was on the pulpit committee that brought me in. And, uh, and so I'd start walking him through biblically why I didn't think it was a good idea to have flags in the worship center. And he was like, man, I'm having a little trouble following you. Would you be willing to type it up in an email so I can read through it and pray about it? It's like, yeah, no problem. No big deal. So I started working on that. And then I started getting a call from every veteran in the church. Mm-hmm. So quite literally, somebody was r- rallying, rallying the troops against me mm-hmm. and, uh, and just saying things like, Nick hates America. You know, he's burning flags or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I talked to these people. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to... I'm writing up an email. You know what I'm doing? I'm just going to send it to the whole church. So just give me a few minutes. You'll get everything, every answer to your question or every answers, all the answers to your questions will be there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so I sent that thinking, oh, yeah, here, you, this is going to solve everything. Send. <laughs> oh, it made it so much worse. It was so bad. And so just started getting all kind of crazy emails and phone calls. I mean, someone threatening even just... Really bad to the point to where, like, the next Sunday, like, our deacons are 
packing to protect me or worried that somebody's going to attack me. Coincidentally, um, not that there are coincidences, but uh, the Saturday before that Sunday, I'm kind of freaking out, and I I decide, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a break from what I've been preaching, and I'll preach 2 Chronicles 7 in context Mm -hmm. so that they see that, you know, if my people who will humble themselves, I'll heal the land. That actually has nothing to do with America. And uh, and just thought, this this will solve everything. Um, so I, was, I already knew I was going to preach this controversial sermon that was going to blow their mind. And uh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, man, we're already in. Let's just go all in, you know. And, um, and so it's Saturday night. I'm trying to unwind before because I know it's just going to be a rough Sunday. So I'm flipping through the channels, and I stop to see Denzel Washington on the screen behind a pulpit. And I was like, oh, it's Malcolm X. I remember this movie. About that time, somebody from from the congregation shoots him. I'm like, hope that's not a home. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, huh, that, that could be prophetic. <laughs> so, so I've got that image in my head going into Sunday morning, and some of my deacons are already worried. They're like, don't worry, we're going to be sitting on the front row with our pistol on our hip. And I'm just like, don't tell me that. Like, is that really necessary? Um, and so that Sunday, people show up in American flag T-shirts, American flag ties, American flag tennis shoes, American flag ball caps. Uh, by the way, most of that is against flag code. Um, and so, um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, so that happens. And... Uh, the whole time I'm preaching, they're just sitting there with their arms crossed, not listening to a word I'm saying, and don't want to listen. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at the end, my secretary gets up and resigns and says, "I'm leaving this church, and you all should too." And and a bunch of people get up and saying they're leaving, and people are filming us, you know, and just um, and my wife gets up and tries to fall on the sword and say it's her fault, not mine. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And at that time, my associate pastor at the time was a veteran. And um, and so he got up and he was like, I love this country. I fought for this country. And I completely agree with Nick. <laughs> you know, he's like, um, he's just trying to be biblical. And nobody really wanted to hear that. Well, then finally, after a lot of rabbling back and forth, the original guy who called me the Navy SEAL got up, stood beside me and just said, man, Nick's just trying to be biblical. If you guys can't see that, maybe you should leave, you know. And so they did. There was a bit, like a third of the church left that day. Mm. Uh, it was really rough. And what was really bad is that week, me and most of the elders um, left to go to a nine marks weekender in Washington D.C. So it's like the church exploded, and we used to like, all right, we're getting on a plane. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> and so it was really bad. Mm. Um, but when we got there, lo and behold, the same thing had happened to Mark Dever's church, the flag controversy. So the guys were really encouraged when they heard that story. It was like, it's not just us, you know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that was the next, that was the next big exodus. Um, and then, uh, things went smooth for a while, not really any growth, just kind of stable. And then some of the reform folk who came in, um, weren't real happy with my pace of things and wanted us to be more reformed more quickly. And I wanted to go slow and, you know, I would say things like if people love Jesus, that's a win. I don't care if they know who John Calvin is and, so there was some tension back and forth, and my associate pastor ended up resigning, um, and him and a few families went and started their own church that was Reformed Baptist. And uh, and so that was another little exodus, kind of. Mm-hmm. And so then it was just like, this all, that was 2016 as well. I mean, yeah, so that was all in 2016. March of 2016 was Flag Day. Um, and then the 
the kind of our reform people who I was excited who were there because they shared my theology mm-hmm. ended up leaving and uh, in that same year. And so then it was just kind of radio silence, no growth, but nobody really left for a little while. Um, and the uh, that was when it was spring or not spring, it was still winter. It was January, February of 2017 when I was just fed up. Like we had went through all that hurt we didn't have anybody coming. We were down to about 30 people. Um, it was always like, is there going to be enough money to make my salary and Jesse's salary or not? Can we pay our bills? We don't know. Um, I was always worried that um, we were going to have to cut somebody's pay. and I, you know, didn't want to hurt anybody else. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to take the hit because most of the money comes to me. Can I do that? Do I have to go back to work at Freightliner? What am I going to do? Um, just a lot of struggle through that. And then at the same time, I'm just trying to be faithful and trying to point the church in a faithful direction. Um, and so kind of over that year, um, I ended up going to Piper's Pastors Conference, just very beat down, frustrated. And that was when uh, I got to talk with Piper for a little bit. And he basically told me, like, why are you beat down and frustrated? Like, you get paid to preach the Bible and people are showing up. Like, I don't care if it's 30 people. Like, mm-hmm. anybody's showing up. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, do you really think you're worthy of people coming? I was like, no, not really. So he's like, so just preach the word and be content. I was like, all right, amen. And so, so I did that, you know. And so we had like a year or so where there was no growth but no loss but a lot of healing, and we really just became a tight-knit family during that time. It was really good for us. And then about a year after that, late 2017, early 2018, we just started growing slow and steady. Um, and then that was the, like, after that, it was like, wow, we're, like, we, through that, we ended up adopting uh, the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, adopting a, a church covenant, totally redoing the church constitution and bylaws to where we actually function by them. Um, the... Um, Cleaning the roles. Clean the roles, yeah. membership roles, match. We, we had mem- fewer members than we had in attendance, right? So attendance was larger than membership instead of it being the other way around, right. which was nice. Uh, we did have to do some church discipline and things like that, but we had taught through all of that. So we had membership classes when people were getting voted in, and then we had to vote members out and do church discipline and things. But uh, um, And so preach through some Old Testament books, preach through New Testament books, and things were just going really well, and uh, and then COVID hit. <laughs> <laughs> things were going well at that point. I mean, we were healthy. Um, we were at that point basically Reformed Baptists without being totally London Baptist Confession, you know, all all the way in. But we were there, like everybody knew we were Reformed Baptists, um, and it was it was just a very healthy. I mean, just loved being there. It was such a joyful place to be, and the people loved me. I loved them, and uh, it was just great. I mean, I, I don't know, but it was small and it was tight knit, but it was growing. And so we went from thirty to like seventy something. So slow, steady growth, nothing major. Um, and then COVID hits, and then you know the world shuts down. Nobody knows what what's going on, and then. Uh, we started back meeting after kind of everybody took a break. And the first Sunday back was like 30 people. I was like, oh, man, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Like we have went back to this. And then the next Sunday was like 60 people. And then like the next Sunday was like 90 people. And I was like, okay, we weren't back to that. And so then we kind of hung out around there, like 80, 90-ish people. But we, grew, we ended up growing through, mm-hmm. through 2020 and COVID. 
Um, and it was just amazing to see what the Lord did there mm-hmm. through that. And uh, we were just in such a healthy spot. And the people God brought to us, like uh, in 2020, we got the Prestons and like you know just all these amazing families showed up. And I was like, mm-hmm. where did you guys come from, <laughs> you gift of God? You know, like <laughs> just coming in and immediately just all hands on deck helping. And mm-hmm. when you're a small church, like that's kind of how things have to work. Like mm-hmm. it's everybody's helping everybody, but it's also this family where everybody just loves each other and cares for each other. Um, and so then fall of 2020, you and I start talking about the possibility of a merger. And so um, then by fall of 2021, we merged, right? So August 1st, 2021, mm-hmm. um, which again, I would say that first Sunday of the merger, well, I mean, we were probably around a hundred, a little over a hundred and, uh, and then since then, you know, the attendance as of late has been around 150, mm-hmm. some Sundays over, some just under. Um, and our membership um, is 102 members. Nice. I corrected myself on that today. <laughs> uh, 102 members with, uh, you know, a handful that we're looking to bring on more and um, just an incredibly healthy dynamic. And mm-hmm. people really love each other. It's still, it's grown, which is hard working through the growing pains, but it's still very much a family and uh, just a fantastic place to be and night and day from where things were to where things are. Um, so, I mean, I went from getting put to the ringer and, you know, I didn't want to leave. I stayed there and then I got put to the ringer and I really wanted to leave. And then Piper said, stop being dumb. <laughs> and so then I stayed and then now I, I don't think you could pay me to leave. I love it here. <laughs> and just amazing to see what God has done. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Not that numbers matter, like they don't. Right. But it's been amazing to see that aspect of it. And I should should mention, like the far more amazing part of that is seeing the spiritual growth mm-hmm. in the people. Yeah. I mean, some of the people who had no idea, you know, what reform theology was, to now like being a true reform die in the wool reform Baptist. And but you know, along with that, more importantly, just them knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, living for Jesus, mm. and realizing like the Christian life doesn't just happen on Sundays, every day, and just truly trying to pour themselves out for the glory of Christ. Uh, it's just amazing to see that and seeing the transformation. And, see, you know, some of those people were the people who voted against me, who mm. stayed through all that and had a total change of heart. Um, and that, that matters far more than any of the numerical growth, but just right. seeing that spiritual growth in people. Not that Again, not that being my supporter has anything to do with spiritual growth either, because I need to be rebuked as much as anybody else. But the uh, but just seeing them grow in their walk with Christ has mm-hmm. been utterly amazing, and it's just that healthy dynamic is what makes Cornerstone such a special place that mm-hmm. the people really, really love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, today in a Bible study, Don Thurman, who's our oldest member at our church, um, he we were going through First Corinthians where it talks about preaching Christ, you know, the foolishness of the gospel. Um, and he said, I'm so happy that I had a pastor who was like, this compliment didn't come without its knocks. He was like, (laughs) I had a, an uneducated young, dumb pastor who came in and just would not shut up about Jesus. And he's like, it's been so good for us. (laughs) He's like, just to see what God has done with that. When, when he just came in and just kept saying, Jesus, 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 and preaching Christ and him crucified. So, well, that was the only thing I had in my bag of tricks. So, <laughs> yeah, so praise God for what he's done. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, again, thank you. 
now, so we, we've heard just a, a giant chunk of your life and, and uh, all of its ups and downs, the, the, the weight and the gravity of it. So we also want to, uh, I guess, lob some softballs to you, but also some maybe curveballs, hardballs here and there to uh, just maybe lighten the mood a little bit. Um, so j- just random questions. You have the ability to appoint the next president of the United States, but you have to choose from one of your kids. Who do you choose? (laughs) Jonah, just because he's the most conservative. (laughs) 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 But I don't know if that's a good thing either. (laughs) Might be like four more years of Trump. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Jonah. Jonah. That's a good answer. Jonah 2036 or something. <laughs> Would it be old enough? Don't you have to be 35, 32? right? Wait, 35? I don't know. Just throw a number out there. It's 30 something. I don't know numbers. <laughs> I don't know how old he would be in, in 36. That's not very far from now, I guess. It's yeah. 17 now, so. <laughs> yeah, a little farther. So what's 15 years plus 22? Is... Would you call me? 2037. 20, <laughs> so you were close. Oh, man. But there's not an election in 37. That we know of. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> Okay, monarchy by then. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, okay, <clears throat> least favorite Christianese quip and why? Oh man, define what you mean. Like a, uh, you know, you hear something that like how he doesn't like two sides of the same coin. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, but that's more that's more broad. That's broad, yeah. Yeah, everyone says something like that, but Christianese quip, you know, something that. Give me an you, example. Well, but I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to lead the witness. Like here. someone says, for instance, I'm not saying this is one of mine, but <laughs> like let's My, do life together, or you uh, know, or if you're on the pulpit and you're like, let's dive into the word, like you yeah, know, just yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's not like that it's that, necessarily that, wrong or bad, but, right? But stuff yeah. that you don't necessarily like, and why? You said one earlier that was one of mine. Actually, I can't remember what it was now. But <laughs> <laughs> Probably said do life. <laughs> um, Aaron's just fuming over I know. Yeah. Was it Chris Tomlin? <laughs> no, no, but I am upset that we just lost one subscriber to a podcast. Sorry, Mr. Tomlin, if you're still listening. <laughs> I, yeah. Let's see. I don't know. Man. I don't think like that. I didn't grow up with all oh, that stuff. Well, so you, you mentioned... Preach the gospel at all times. Yeah, I hate yeah. that. There okay. you go. But well, there you I, go. I hate it because it's unbiblical, not well, because it's... Uh, Most of the, yeah, them are. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Let go and let God. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, there you go. go. Yeah. Right. I don't like that. Yeah. Speaking our language, man. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So why? Because they're not biblical. Got yeah. it. Uh, okay. In your specific line of work, uh, well, this this has two parts to it. Number one, uh, what's the what's the biggest misconception about what you do? That it's only on Sunday and Wednesday. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday? Or Wednesday? Yeah. <laughs> and then some. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Second part of that is who's someone you look up to in your specific line of work? Well, you mean that's still alive? Like so, someone let's, I know? Yeah, let's or go just modern. In theory. Like, yeah, let's go modern, someone you know, and someone we know ish. Well, I mean, so like someone I know personally, (laughs) not necessarily. Okay. Well, this is weird, but so like (laughs) my favorite living pastor, uh, that I like the way he pastors would be Mark Dever. 
my favorite living preacher that I like the way he preaches would be John Piper. Hmm. Um, but that's people I don't know really. Like, yeah. Um, as far as people I know, um, I don't know. That's hard. That's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't have to answer that one. Like I've never. <laughs> I mean, I have a, a few buddies that I look up to and see how they're leading, and it's amazing. Um, it's, it's happening more now, now that like we're in the Reformed Baptist Network. Some of these guys, as I'm getting mm-hmm. to know them and see them and just see the inspiration they are, I really admire longevity. Um, so people who stay put for a long time it yeah. just really appeals to me. And so that's why I like guys like John Stott and others who've gone to be with the Lord because of how long they suck it out, Charles Simeon. Um, but uh, John, who was the host pastor at Reformed Baptist Network, and he's John uh, Haney. Yeah, I was just on you know Zoom call with him and some other guys, and uh, I just really my ears perk up when I hear him talk. Like I just want to listen, and you know some people might not do that as much with him because he doesn't have all the degrees or whatever. But um, I think maybe maybe Stan Britton's responsible for my way of thinking. But I uh, that idea of a churchman who's put in the work and stayed there and really mm-hmm. ministered to people through the good, the bad, and the ugly and didn't let them run him off and just stayed put for the glory of God. That, that really means a lot to me. And mm-hmm. so looking looking to guys like him um, is helpful. Uh, Jim Savascio, who's a pastor of uh, Reformed Baptist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, um, he's been helpful, um, texting, phone calls, and uh, and he's one of those guys. He's been there. He planted that church, I think, in the 80s and stayed put mm-hmm. and um, and so guys like that, yeah, um, there's nobody here local. I mean, um, guys, I, you know, I appreciate and admire different aspects of their ministry, but not, not ones that I look up to holistically that way. Not, I'm not trying to knock them in any way, but just, um, some of them just aren't old enough. I mean, it would probably be part <laughs> of it. Like, uh, um, I've got a lot of wisdom from Mark Toombs, who's one of the pastors at now Redeemer Presbyterian in Rockwall, um, but uh, but you know I have to I have to eat the meat and spit out the bones. Cause it's Presbyterian, you know. <laughs> so it's got a lot of meat, got a lot of meat, a lot of good things. He's been there for me a, a lot of times. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's the best I can do with that question. Mm-hmm. It's all done. All right. Actually, Stan Britton. Uh, I don't know if he knows this or not, but um, him and and Cooper Taylor at the time were uh, instrumental in me discovering gospel centrality. Uh-huh. Um, so fun fact about yeah. that. Okay, what, I got I got to mention one other name in case okay. in case he listens. Vaughn Paxton, who has been uh, just a great friend. Atlanta, uh, right? He is. He's not in Atlanta. He's in uh, South Georgia in okay. Cordell First Baptist Cordell. I think is how you say it. Cordell Cordell. But uh, he was here, and we went to Criswell together, and started the same semester, and just kind of been on the journey to, you know, kind of together through all of it about the same age too um but um i mean we don't agree on everything but man he's just been such a brother through everything and and you know there's been times when i was ready to quit that i could call him and he talked me out of it and there's been times when he was ready to quit and he could call me and i talk him out of it um and we just be there for each other just pray for each other and so man yeah definitely look up to him and and in so many ways and he's just been such an encourager through all of it Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen a ghost? Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite fictional character? Hmm. 
Are you thinking about your answer? Yeah. Too? Okay. <laughs> There's so many <laughs> fictional characters, not my favorites, but. Hmm. Probably Gandalf. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Interesting. I've heard of him. Have you really? <laughs> I have. <laughs> I started. Only to the grapevine. <laughs> I started Hobbit. Really? Yeah. The movie or the book? The book. Ah, yeah. okay. We won't get into that now. <laughs> <laughs> um, were dinosaurs real? I think so. Oh. Yeah. Why do you think so? That was a quick answer. You thought about this. Yeah, you have. <laughs> yeah, Did you was... prep for... <laughs> no, but that question bothered me early on. And just looking at different things and fossils and, and then thinking, yeah, there's scripture that it goes with and Job and everything. I don't I mean, I'm not saying it like Jurassic Park, but I think, yeah, some uh, version of dinosaur was probably yeah. real. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I like to think it was I, like Jurassic Park. I really though. like Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> I like all of them. <laughs> Those are my favorite fictional characters. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe they're not fictional, but all <laughs> the maybe, dinosaurs. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> the the Adon, Adominus Rex. Yeah. Can I you. change my answer? That's, that's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> Blue, my favorite the raptor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was a good girl. <laughs> You're my girl, Blue. <laughs> Sorry, that was mixing. Yeah. <laughs> Some of that was redeemed. <laughs> okay, something something that God is teaching you currently, showing you currently. That I am nowhere near as far along in sanctification as I thought I was. Um, weird things that early on I was very successful in battling temptations, pride, things like that, that now suddenly flare up. And I was like, man, I just thought I was past this. And yeah, so uh, what he's teaching me in that is that I cannot get comfortable in the fight. I've got to fight sin daily. And there are little things that aren't sin that lead me into sin. Uh, particularly things that are tied to my youth. Um, things as dumb as music or movies or, um, I mean, just things along those lines. Anything, <laughs> this sounds bad, anything that has a hint of nostalgia to it can put me in a frame of thought that leads to spiritual apathy. And I have to fight those things and realize, like, I have to do, like, this may sound extreme. I have to do like two hours of devotions daily just to live the Christian life. And I have to stay away from certain things that aren't sinful at all uh, just because I'm too immature to, to deal with them, and they lead me down a really bad path. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that's really dumb, some of the things. Like, it's not <laughs> not sinful at all, but it just leads me to a place to where I let my guard down mm. and end up falling prey to temptation. Um, and just realizing, I think I heard Piper say this one time that, like, you've got about three seconds mm -hmm. to fight sin, and if you wait any longer, you're gone. Like, you you think you can still, oh yeah yeah I got this. No, you don't. You're gone. Mm -hmm. You're gonna find a way to get back to it, yeah. and and that just happens. And so, yeah. So I just realized, like, get up early, do whatever I got to do to get in that time of prayer. Uh, I mean, it's it's really insane how many devotionals I read and. <laughs> Um, and scripture and, and just, I don't recommend it to any normal person, but, um, I've often said, and I know it didn't originate with me, but, um, I am too immature not to be a pastor. Like I, it's 
thank God that I get paid to spend my time primarily in the word and in prayer because I'm not mature enough not to. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. To close out our time, we'll hit you with a lightning round. Okay, so these are uh, three to five seconds. Um, thoughtless, but but I know that you have a ton of thought behind what you're going to answer with. So, uh, lightning round. C- country music or EDM? Country music. Okay. <laughs> Expositional or topical? Expositional. <laughs> Manuscript, notes, outline, or no notes? Outline. This one will pertain to you particularly. KJV, NASB, NIV, or ESV? ESV. All right. Lectern or music stand? Lectern. Oh. Handheld mic, Garth Brooks mic, <laughs> otherwise known as the Britney. I got it. <laughs> or lapel mic. Lapel. All right. Fifteen <laughs> hundred reformers or 16 to 1700 Puritans? Puritans. John MacArthur or John Piper? Piper. All right. <laughs> and here's, I think, the, the best one. Spend five minutes with John Bunyan, but you can never read his books again. Or spend five minutes with Charles Spurgeon, but you can never quote him again. Spurgeon. Mm. For, for anybody who doesn't know, <laughs> that's insane. I mean, it's God going to take care of me not quoting him? Or am I, just, am I supposed to be that strong-willed? Because that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good question. Well, so I guess um, one thing to, to mention to you is that uh, you mentioned thinking about everything in your past, uh, kind of nostalgia. So maybe tonight and tomorrow four hours of devotion as opposed to two <laughs> uh, since we just took you through all of no, your no, no. it's not like that okay it's it's more dumb <laughs> i can talk about it it's, you know i grew up around outcasts right can't can't listen to outcasts it sends me in a bad way uh, not that there are many outcast songs that anybody should listen to as far as very explicit but you know yeah stuff like that i hear dumb it. music I hear it. things that doesn't matter yeah it's just it's weird gotcha kjv yeah. Prison, prison Bibles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in light of all that we've seen tonight about the immensity of God's grace just through uh, throughout your life, and then seeing how God's even used something along the lines of your obsessive and addictive personality uh, and flipped that right side up for His good, uh, for your good and His glory, rather. Um, let us remember the gospel. And remember who God is for all who are listening, that he is perfectly just, perfectly good and gracious and merciful and loving. And all of this is seen most clearly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. As God says in Malachi 3, 6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Because of who God is and because of who he is does not change, we are not consumed, but instead we are saved. Our salvation is not tied to anything we are or do, but to who God is and what He has done. And because our God does not change, neither will His posture toward us who are in Christ change. God is totally for us in Christ. And because nothing can change God, nothing can change our status in Christ. Therefore, as Romans 8.39 so gloriously says, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.
So until next time, this has been Nick Ash, Aaron Alvarado, and me, Jacob Simmons, and we are Made for Another World.